Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Three hours of information. The information you need, though, the information that will change your life. Today we'll be talking taxes, diabetes, marriage, and optimism. Boy, what a show. By the way, taxes and optimism, same show. And also diabetes, bridged with a little diabetes. Sounds like a really bad family party. Yes, it does. <laughs> that is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome to the program. Hey, folks, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to ask James if he can notice anything different. James, do you notice anything different about me? No. L- look. Uh, just look carefully. You're wearing a different jacket. Nope, nope, that's not it. Hold on, just give me a second. Oh, second. yeah, uh-huh. Okay, yeah, you're, you're, Notice you have anything? something on your wrist. Yes. Wow, is that a Fitbit? Yes, I've got a Fitbit. Wow. Dr. David Myers, on the show a few weeks ago, he had bought, all, everybody in his, um, he's a friend of mine, he had bought everybody in the on his team a Fitbit, and he was telling me how it's changing their team and their conversations, they even have little competitions. And I said, really, i got to get one of those. He goes, I've got one, an extra one. Let me give you one. So he's letting me borrow it. Would that be something after a few weeks of use, we could have him back on and you guys yes, could compare no, notes? Yes, I want him back on. I want him back on because I've had this thing only like 12 hours and I already feel skinnier. It's not how it works, but good. Uh-huh. I'm glad you got sort of a placebo effect going on. No, no, no. No. <laughs> I wore it sleeping. Okay. And you know what it told me? That you didn't sleep well? It actually didn't calculate my okay. sleep. But it did tell me that my resting heart rate is 70, 68 degrees, I think, or 68, uh, what's it called? 68 beats per minute. Beats per minute. By the way, guess what my heart rate is right now? 72? So interesting. 72? 54? 12? No. I'm just going to start random numbers this here. This is fascinating data. <laughs> See, this is data we never had on the Matt Townsend Show because I didn't have a device hooked to my body. That would be true. My heart rate is up to 100 beats a minute right now. Wow, you're hyper. It's because I'm pumped up for the really? show. Adrenaline? Interesting. But I went from about 72 resting rate to 100, 100, and it'll go up. I mean, when the tax lady comes on, it'll be about 120. That's why we want exciting guests like that. So it's like your average energy drink just to start yeah, the show. I'm jacked up. But uh, when I sleep, it went down to about 68 okay. beats a minute, which is, which is amazing. Like coma? Yeah, because I always thought I had a little elevated heart rate. Apparently huh. not. So I just, yeah. You'll have several days of this where you're like, wow, look at that. Because... I'm a bit fit. I'm a bit fit. What? It's not a fit bit. Oh. I am a bit fit. Just you're, a bit. You're doing a thing. But soon I'll be a lot fit. Mm. What, what, why do you doubt that? That is the you, you have a busy schedule and you don't really have time to go run. Or... No, but see, notice I'm standing right now because I'm going to yeah. try to get as many... I want to get steps yeah, while I'm that's, standing. Here. That's what it does. Is you start like thinking about every moment of your day. How yeah. can I do something more? That's the effective? only reason I like it, really, because it's it's going to remind me regularly. 
I'm going to go set an alarm for about every hour to just shock me. Okay. It's cool. I feel better. I feel skinnier. I don't, I don't want You're to You're on your way, Matt. You're on your yeah. way to a fitter, better you. And by the way, and just to know that my heart rate went up when I started the show, what does that tell you? You're hyper? It tells me that the show pumps me up. <laughs> yes. Before, I didn't know my heart rate and, even and went up. And you have the data set of one day yeah. to, to be able to draw this conclusion. Imagine, I'll be able to say every day when we start the show, I'll be able to see, oh man, my heart rate always goes up to that. That's a good sign. But I might find out by the third hour... I'm comatose. Could, it could be, which is bad for the show. But <laughs> That would be really bad for the show. Maybe which, you can run some laps around the I'll office. Maybe I'll take a lap. Yeah. Maybe I'll have a, a, you know, a Twinkie. No, that would kind of be the anti what you're trying to achieve. Oh, yeah, a bit fit. Yeah. You'd be a lot less fit. I'd be a, a, a little bit fit. And full of Twinkie. <sighs> I just feel better. I even think I'm taller. Do I seem taller? Well, you stood up. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> I'm standing. I'm doing the show standing. I'm figuring I've got a big day. I've also got a speech later on today, so I'm going to be able to see what a, you know, a speech does to me. And I'm going to stop in the middle of the speech about five times and check my And just say excuse me. Yeah. Okay, moving on. I'm just collecting some data for a study. Anyway, it's pretty cool. I'm do, I'm doing it so I can get ready for your wedding, James. I'm getting in what they call honeymoon condition. I'm getting in shape for your honeymoon. And we all appreciate that. <clears throat> That's how much I care about you. Get a fit I mean, a lot, of bo- a lot of bosses, I don't even know if you're, I'm your boss, a lot of people, coworkers, wouldn't get in shape Mm-mm. for your well, wedding. You had to fit in that bridesmaid's dress, so. No. They only come in certain sizes, but so you got to get gotta, down there. When are we getting our tuxes? <laughs> when are we? I don't know if we're that involved in his wedding. I think we're just going oh, to show no, up to are. the reception. James, and... when do we get the tuxes? Because uh, I haven't. I, I got. And I got to know because I. When I you're gotta, fitting. Yeah, it's. I don't have a lot of time for this stuff, but I'll get back to you. Okay, can I'll you, have. Uh, I'll have my people talk to your. Will people. you know today? No. Have your people call my people Monday. Okay. Okay. Well, I think. Let me check my calendar. The uh, wedding is I May second. I can get back to you. Uh, maybe like four weeks from now, maybe. No, four weeks will be too late. So I'll just – let me just do this. I'll have my assistant talk to your assistant. Okay. What's her name or his name? My assistant? Yeah, what's your assistant's name? Oh, uh, James? Uh, yeah. <laughs> James? You have, a, you have an assistant named James? Yes. That's the weirdest thing. What's his extension? Um, I'll have to check on that. Man. I'll get back to you Five eight seven five three zero nine. Anyway, okay. Just let me know because I want, I want to, I want to make sure I, I want to make sure I've got the tux. Mm-hmm. Of course, oh, of course. This is great. So excited for the wedding, and now I'll be in shape. Yeah. I by the way, I'll need special shoes for the tux because of my no, plantar. you can't have elevator heels. No, You're I've got plantar fasciitis, so I need special shoes. Do they make plantar fasciitis? Uh, special shoes. tuxedo shoes? They might. Probably. They're really expensive, though. <laughs> it's a niche product. So you'll spend most yeah. of your money on my shoes. Anyway, just get that out there. All right, some news. Oh, we're going to Things that happened. Okay. Boston bombing. Yes. The marathon bombing trial. Yep. The verdict came back on Johar Zarnayev. He's what? guilty on 30 counts. Holy cow. 17 of which carry the death penalty. The jury took 11 hours. 
to look yeah. at it after you know the defense is saying, yeah, he did it. Yeah, but he did it following his brother. She's playing the entire game is being played to save him from, save the, him death from the death penalty. So uh, the penalty phase begins next week. They're giving the jury a few days off. Then they'll hear the prosecution and the defense, yeah. and then they'll get the case, and they'll have to figure out. It has to be unanimous. All mem- members of the jury have to decide on the death penalty, or he goes to jail for life. That's how it works. Yeah. So, uh, of course, the media across the BBC decided they wanted to go find Zarnaev's mom. Oh, yeah. Chechnya. Where is she in Chechnya? Yeah. The... Uh, so they, they went over and they interviewed her, and she declared Americans are the real terrorists here, calling her son the best of the best. They uh, sent uh, messages to family friends on social media. It says, I will never forget it. May God bless those who helped my son. The terrorists are the Americans, and it's known to everyone. My son is the best. So the mom <laughs> is convinced that the son had nothing to do with it other oh, yeah. than he's there and he's putting the backpack down. And, and they he's have the convicted video. convicted of 30 and, yeah. counts. See, that's there. There you go. Uh, terrorism or not, there's the blind love of a parent. At least you'll always have. Because isn't she? Uh, she's she is a, a a terrorist. Didn't she leave to go? I haven't read anything about the mother. I thought she was one that may have got them started. I don't know. Maybe not. But yeah. I think she. The mother said she is worried about the two sisters who are also in the United States. Oh, because they're... I haven't heard anything about the fact that these two brothers have a pair of sisters who are also living over here. Well, you know, it's sad. She just she outed them, threw them under the bus. <laughs> Can you imagine their faces when they heard what? Huh? Uh, mother. There's other people to go talk to. Always favored the boys. The president of Iran said in a televised speech Thursday that uh, Iran will only sign a final nuclear accord with the six world powers if all sanctions against the country are lifted. Yeah. Right. So the way President Obama said is, we'll sign it, and then gradually they'll be lifted as we see that as we see that they're making these changes. The- and the president of Iran is like, we do it now. Yeah. He goes, it's a win. He wants a win-win for everyone. We get to win, and you get the the also the the positive yeah. sign and the positivity of signing this this agreement. So oh man, these things continue. Uh, the man who recorded the crucial video evidence of the unarmed Walter Scott being shot in the back by the yes. South Carolina police officer, he was interviewed by NBC News yesterday. He's a hero. He says, I remember the police had control of the situation. He had control of Scott. Scott was just trying to get away from the taser. The man's name is, uh, what's it, Fadeen uh, Santana. Santana said that after he saw the officer shoot, Scott, he goes, I knew right away on my hands, of course, you're, yeah. you're videoing this. You're like, whoa. Because he was videoing a traffic stop, yeah. and then it escalated. But obviously. then he even moved closer. So after the shooting around the tree, the man actually moved closer. He did. I mean, he's a gutsy guy. And it says, Santana says that he did not hear the white officer give any warnings before firing the eight shots. It wasn't like, stop. He yeah. just fired the gun. Was there audio on the... Yeah, there was, because you could hear, you the, hear gun. the gun pops. Well, then, yeah, nobody could hear warnings. Yeah. But, I mean, there... I, I think oh, even way before He that. may have started and stopped the video, and so it's not all, all together. But you, you see this. Yeah. We saw the video. He didn't yeah. say anything. He just pulled his gun and shot. Oh, the guy... So... Oh, that's horrible. Well, thank heavens for a, a hero like that. And then I think he went and tried to turn the video in to the police station and got a little worried when he got there that this is something's weird. I mean, he just, he just didn't dare do it, so he left and... 
Anyway, a hero. I'll call him a hero. Our hero of the day. Uh, excellent news. And, you know, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling fit. Just a bit fit. And uh, got a great show today. Coming up, you might know that in about a week, you know, or less, you got you got taxes due. April 15th, it's coming up. So we are going to have an interview with Kelly Herb, uh, who is the tax girl at tax the tax uh, taxgirl.com. We're going to be just picking her brain, the mistakes people make uh, while doing their taxes, and get some heads up, some things we need to watch out for this year. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you know, on the show, we want to give you all the tools we can to help you uh, live a healthier, happier life. And part of that's going to be paying your taxes. For many of us up through April, it takes that long to earn the money you'll need to pay off your taxes. For me, it's November. That's my tax-free date. But uh, in order to make sure we don't make mistakes, we wanted to bring on an expert uh, who knows a lot about taxes. She goes by the name The Tax Girl. If you go to her website, taxgirl.com, you'll find the website of Kelly Phillips Herb. She's an attorney, and her primary uh, practice area is tax law, including tax planning for corporations, domestic and international tax planning. She uh, is joining us right now by phone to help us kind of sort through some of the things we need to be paying attention to when it comes to our taxes. Kelly, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you. And, you know, let me just clarify this straight up, okay? So we still need to pay taxes, right? Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure we got that clear. So nothing... oh, I know. It's, it's this time of year, everybody wants to, you know, figure out why they don't need to. But unfortunately, until IRS, you know, says differently, you're on the hook. You're on the hook. And I have a, I have a person I know that is actually about to go to prison, federal prison, for three years for not paying taxes. So Wow. Well, that's pretty actually <sighs> unusual. I know. Isn't that weird? It actually took yeah. a long, long time fighting. I'm, I can imagine so. And, and uh, his was some serious dodging, I think, too. I think he'd admit. Um, number one question for you. Let's just sure. talk, uh, you know, most common mistakes. There's, there, it seems like the tax code is out of control crazy. And mm-hmm. even I have a doctorate and two master's degrees. But the idea of me having to go file my own taxes would be a nightmare. So I completely understand. I have two graduate degrees and I have an accountant. So and I, you're an accountant, an accountant. And, yeah, and, and you're a tax lawyer. And right. so help us understand what are some of the mistakes we need to make sure we're paying attention to, we need to watch out for. Well, I, I first want to say that most of the mistakes um, don't actually result in prison time. Yes, so I just want to let's get that very clear. Yeah. Friend, that's actually yeah. one of the things people call me in a panic all the time. I'm going to I prison. I didn't yeah. find my return. Am I going to prison? Um, so most of the time, to, if, you're, if you're in serious criminal trouble, it's because you've done you know, some pretty, pretty yeah. bad stuff. That's the right. Stuff we're going to talk about for years, too. Some penalties, some interest, but nothing terrible. Yeah, there you go. Um, so the first one, that actually, that I see a lot, and you'd be surprised in this day and age with um, so many people e-filing, is people not signing their returns. <laughs> um, I think sometimes people get so crazy this time of year that they're just so happy to have their returns done yeah. that they don't sign them. So that's actually a, a mistake because the IRS doesn't consider it a complete return 
until, until you it's have signed. your signature. How do you sign an e-tax e-form? Well, well, it kind of depends on how you are um, filing. If you're if you're filing with a preparer and they're e-filing for you, they usually have to get you to file a, a form that's a consent yeah. form yep. to e-file. So you just want to make sure you sign everything. And then also um, when you're filing with a spouse, a lot of times, again, people are just so excited to have it done and they want to get it out the door. Um, they forget to have their spouse hmm. sign. So. And then will they send it back to you and because it's not complete? It depends because, you know, the, the uh, IRS works on an audit system, and while they do look at every return, they don't review every return, you know, for every single um, mistake that they can find. But usually signatures, they'll, they'll note that you haven't filed it, um, that you haven't signed it. And uh, the audit season, the cor- what's called correspondent audit season, begins in July, and that's when IRS starts sending out all of the you-made-a-mistake yeah. letters. So you might get a you-made-a-mistake letter, but you won't get it back immediately. The e-file is obviously easier to catch because if you don't sign the form, um, you know, the, the tax pro who's preparing your return is going to notice. Okay. There you go. That's good. So, that's, so make sure it's signed. What are some other mistakes? Choosing the wrong filing status. Um, I think especially in this day and age, just because of the fact that we have different kinds of families now and um, blended families, people who live together, people who might be married but don't live together, people who might be engaged but living together but not married. Um, So, And actually, I was uh, fielding calls yesterday, and I had this question, and it was a, a woman who was divorced and living apart from her husband but still technically married, can she file as single? And the answer would be no. I think a lot of times people have a a difficult time sorting through those pieces. And the the quick rule of thumb is that whatever your state says in terms of whether you're married or not, that determines your filing status for federal purposes. Mm -hmm. And that's true for December 31st of the tax year. So if you got divorced on December the 1st, even if you were married for the most of 2014. Yeah, you could file. You're still, some. You're still single yeah. For, yeah. for purposes yeah. of um, filing for at the end of the year. So you want to know what your filing status is at the end of the tax year on December 31st. And it doesn't matter what went on before then. And it doesn't matter how you introduce yourself. You can tell someone that you're married, but unless you're legally married, can't file as married. Interesting. And again, I guess a lot of this comes back to your, unless you're audited, they mm-hmm. won't know, but if you're audited, then you're going to have a, a lot of back pro, a back, you know, back right. and, issues. And the tricky thing about filing status and audits is that you have to understand IRS is totally a numbers game. Yeah. So when your return comes in, they're matching numbers. They're matching W-2s to what you've reported, 1099s. That's the easy stuff. And with filing status, especially if you're claiming someone as your spouse or if you're claiming a dependent, you know, for, for purposes of the, um, you know, child care credit, those kinds of things, right. IRS is going to match Social Security numbers. So if you write the wrong if you write the wrong number, either because you've written the wrong number down by accident or because you, you claim you, you know, you're putting your spouse on the return, but maybe that spouse is filing a, a return that says different, that's how the IRS um, finds you out. So there, there are certain things that you, know, you could probably scoot by and not get noticed, yeah. but especially when it comes to things like Social Security numbers. They're going to check those against databases, and those are the kinds of errors that the IRS notices pretty quickly. Oh, interesting. We're talking with uh, Kelly Erb, and Kelly is uh, an attorney, but she is the tax girl. If you go to the website, taxgirl.com, 
com. You can get uh, a lot of information about what she what she does. She's also the author for the popular Tax Girl blog for Forbes.com. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, more information from Kelly and also uh, try to find out some of the mistakes we make, but also some of the things we need to make sure you know, that are the tips that make it a little bit easier for us so we can make it through this sometimes difficult tax season. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. to the Matt Townsend Show. Just a few days away, friends. Seven days. Got to file our taxes. Um, hopefully you've already done it. Maybe you've already done it. We're talking to Tax Girl, the, the Tax Girl from TaxGirl.com. Kelly Herb is her name, and she is uh, an attorney, primary practices in tax law. But uh, she really is just an expert in, in knowing how to file your taxes, how to you know manage child care expenses, medical costs, She's done it all. In fact, she's published the book Ask or published Ask the Tax Girl, Everything Parents Should Know About Filing Taxes. I mean, who doesn't need that? She did that with uh, Forbes magazine. So, Kelly, we appreciate you being on the show and what you're teaching us. Uh, welcome back. Thanks. What else do we need to worry about when it comes to, you know, some mistakes we need to just make sure we pay attention to? Then I'd love you to just start downloading as many tips as you can. Oh, okay. Well, I think I think this time um, of year, people start, uh, again, kind of getting into a panic about yeah. the fact that it's just next week. Um, and I know you kind of alluded to earlier that you might not be filing on time. Um, I just got my extension request, and I extend every year just because super busy this time of year. So I think that's one of the things that um, folks sometimes don't realize they can do is file for extension. So it's a mistake not to file for an extension. And that has to be filed before the 15th, right? Right. On or before the 15th, make sure that you either have it um, electronically done. You can can do it or just go to the IRS website and um, you can download the form and just put it in the post just like you would a normal tax return. And the great thing about it is the IRS doesn't care why you're asking for an extension, yeah. so you don't have to tell them. <laughs> you just have to make sure that you get it in on time, and you'll get an automatic six-month extension, and that'll be an extension of the time to file, but not the time to pay. So if you're going to owe, you want to make sure you make a payment when you do the filing. Um, but I think that, that you know, that's a, a mistake people make is they kind of get to the date and they're not ready, and they right. think, well, I'll just file later. But you can actually get a penalty for not filing on time, so why not take advantage of this kind of – it's like a free pass. Do you, like, you know, it, when you're a kid and you got a homework pass. Exactly. Kind of thing. Except you also have to make a payment. How do you know the payment if you haven't done the taxes? Or can you just throw an estimate out there? Yeah, you just do an estimate. So, you know, the, the safe harbor rule kind of is to make sure that you, you've paid as much for this year as you owed last year. Okay. If your situation hasn't changed. Um, I just guessed with mine because I knew my number is going to be different this year than it was last year. So I just I – just, you know, wrote a check for a guest and, you know, hope for the best. If, if you owe a little more at the end, you'll be subject to interest. But if you are, if it's reasonable, not, not um, you know, a huge penalty. Mm-hmm. And if you've overpaid, you get it back. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, again, just make sure it's an educated guess that the IRS is not going to expect you to be spot on because obviously if you knew that, you wouldn't be firing for the extension in the first That's right. Place. That's right. Well, and it gets complicated because I have to have my business taxes done before I can turn in my personal taxes and sometimes exactly. business taxes lag. Exactly. I think that's what happens with a lot of taxpayers because if you're a small business owner, especially if you have an S corporation or some kind of pass through, like a, an LLC or a partnership, yeah. those returns aren't going to even be done until generally March. So you're not going to get the, the tax information until April at the earliest, and then you're kind of scrambling. Ugh. So um, I know a lot of people think that get an extension is an audit flag. That used to be a big myth, you know, that was yeah. an, if, you, if you filed late. But actually, it's, it's smarter to have a, a return filed that's complete and, uh, and filed with extension. So, you know, uh, filed after the due date, but still timely because of the extension. It's better to do that and make sure it's right than to kind of throw something together just so you can have it done before April 15. Yeah, I think that's it. We, we, we procrastinate it. We delay it. And then I think in the back of our minds, we just think they're evil and they're out to crush us. Right. <laughs> but really, it, they're, they're, it's just a numbers deal. And keep if it's clean and it's correct, uh, that's probably more valuable than – you know, than anything else. Absolutely, because in terms of audits, um, statistically about 2% of audits are random, but um, all of the rest of them are for a reason. So just don't give the IRS a reason. That's right. You know, and again, make sure it's complete. Um, You know, having the extension isn't going to flag you any more than any other um, legal thing that you're allowed to do. So it's, I always tell my clients, rather than panicking, give a really sloppy return, just get that extension. And it's free and it's easy it requires very little math. <laughs> well, and I've made a mistake before that was like colossal. Like mm-hmm. and then you had to do an, an amendment, is that what it is? Yeah. And and, and even and even see you know even that though it seems like that makes you a bigger target. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't cuz you're cleaning it up, but the interesting thing about a 1040X, it doesn't necessarily make you a target, but you're admitting to IRS you made a mistake, and so they might look at your numbers a little more carefully yeah. because the amended return, unlike an, so with um, an extension request, I mentioned earlier, you don't have to tell IRS why you're getting an extension. Right. You just file it. But when you file a 1040X, which is the amended return, they actually have a section at the end that pretty much says, tell us why you're doing yeah, this. Yeah, what's your problem? So you have to get exactly, then you have to get the excuse, and they do look at that. Yeah. And, and basically, that's for penalty purposes, they're trying to see, you know, is this a, an honest mistake? Did you get a form late? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Or did you just space it out? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so we got to watch out for, uh, you know, keep it clean, make sure you're getting it in on time, do extensions. What, what other tips? What other things do we need to make sure just, just th- these are the basics? Right. Well, this seems like it would be obvious, but making sure that you report all your income. Um, you know, a W-2 wage earner usually has it pretty easy because they get one form. Yeah. But if you're an independent contractor, maybe you're a writer, maybe you do a lot of gigs, you're a musician. Yeah. Um, you might be getting a lot of little time, <laughs> little numbers of forms. And, um, you know, because you get the, the 1099 MISC is what you're going to get if you are an independent contractor. And you get that if you've received more than $600 during the year. You have to report your income even if you've repo- if you've received under six hundred. Hold on. So if if you have made more than six hundred dollars, you you're going to have to pay taxes. You're gonna you're gonna get a form. A that's form going to pay. To, yeah. Okay. But for if, reporting purposes. But no matter what. So let me ask you on the teenager, for example, a fifteen year old mm-hmm. kid makes six hundred dollars a year mowing lawns. 
Mm-hmm. Does he have to file? Well, see, it gets complicated because there's something called a kitty tax. Okay. And the kitty tax is um, it was it, it was put in place so that people wouldn't shift income down to their kids. This okay. idea that you you know you wouldn't have to um, pay tax on on income that was earned by children. So really wealthy families, the IRS or Congress thought were just kind of shifting income down to their kids. So now. The rule is that if you're under 18 um, at the end of the tax year, you have to look at the kind of income, whether it's earned or unearned. Okay. So if you're mowing lawns, that's considered earned income. That's what my kids say, Dad, I earned it today. <laughs> exactly. If it's unearned, it's like investment income, like, you know, when you're, your bank account yeah. interest, that kind of thing. A dividend, so, yeah. Exactly. So the unearned interest is the one that people, I mean, the unearned income is the one that, that tends to kick in the kitty tax. Okay. And the, the kitty tax kicks in when your investment income is over $2,000. Okay. But so if and my child... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, otherwise, the unearned income above that amount is you pay your parents' rate. So that it, it becomes kind of okay. uh, complicated. Under the age of 18, um, mm-hmm. what at what point... With earned income, would my child need to do anything with their taxes? Oh, would would they need to file? You yeah, mean? do they need to file no matter what if they've made money under eighteen? Uh, well, again, it depends. I don't remember what the number is okay. off the top of my head. I'm going to look it up, but it's it's earned income plus unearned income, and so the unearned income is the one that people tend to um, worry about the most. The six hundred dollars, I can tell you off the top of my head, is not going to be if you don't have. Unearned income, I can tell you off the top of my head that that's not going to be um, subject to tax. Unless unless somebody W2'd, is that what it's called? The, uh, 1099'd him. Yes. Okay. So, which would be weird. Yeah. Because that would mean that, yeah. I mean, yeah. most of the time when you're mow- mowing lawns, yeah, he's, you're not yeah. going yeah, to hit that kind of um, – you know, get, hit those kind of numbers. Right, exactly. Interesting. So you're still going to be subject. To, I mean, the, the the weird thing about uh, taxes is even if you have to report the income, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to end up paying no, because right. of all of the exemptions and the credits and the deductions. That's great. What uh, what else do we need to worry about when it comes to taxes? What are more mistakes, more things that would just a simple tip? Well, uh, m- making sure that you deduct m- enough because, again, one of the interesting things is we always kind of focus on making sure that you report all the income. But people get so nervous about the idea that they might get audited that I think a lot of times folks don't deduct enough. They are kind of looking at their receipts and they're thinking, well, what if I get audited? Um, and I always encourage my clients, you know, not to be scared of taking, even if it's an aggressive position, if it's one that you can back up. Because just because you get pulled for audit, which, again, keep in mind that only two of, percent of, uh, of audits are actually random. Um, if you have the documents to back it up, it's not a problem. So if you really did make $10,000 worth of charitable contributions during the year, you should claim those $10,000. I mean, <laughs> why would you leave money on right. the table? Yeah, right. Same thing on the medical expenses side. If, you know, if you're paying your own insurance, if you are um, you know, paying your own doctor bills and you, you're above the threshold, absolutely claim the medical expense deduction. Um, I think a lot of people get, you know, they kind of shy away from it because they think that the IRS is looking for a number over which they're going to get audited. Yeah. 
And while it, it is on some level a numbers game, because obviously if you're, if you're claiming that you only made $10,000 in the year, but you gave 12000 to charity, you know, obviously the IRS is going to look askance at you. But if you have the numbers and the, the documents to back it up, you absolutely want to do that. Mm. You know what? It really is, Kelly. Just It's fairly basic stuff. And, and we, appreciate, we appreciate your insight, your work. Go to taxgirl.com, everybody. Great, great source and resource to just answer your questions, to ask her questions personally. If you have any issues, uh, go check out uh, the great work by Kelly Erb on taxgirl.com. When we come back, we're going to take a, a look at maybe a, an epidemic as, as we're gaining weight in, this, uh, in, in the United States and I guess worldwide. Adult onset diabetes is also going up as well. We're going to be talking to an expert in the field of diabetes and he's going to um, give us some some insight into some new research that might be bringing some hope. This is the Matt Townsend Show, my friends. We will be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the weirdest things uh, happen on this show. We're talking about diabetes, adult onset of diabetes, and we're playing this song, Sugar Sugar, from the Archies. Only on the Matt Townsend Show would you get such ironic moments, so much excitement. Anyway, did you know that over 8 million uh, people go undiagnosed with diabetes, according to the National Diabetes Statistics Report of 2014. Currently, 29 million people have diabetes. 8 million are undiagnosed. Complications arising from diabetes can include amputations, blindness, kidney disease, heart disease, and stroke. Type 2 diabetes, also known as adult-onset diabetes, is progressively affecting younger people due partly to child obesity. Recently, Dr. Richard DeMarkey, a professor at Indiana University in Bloomington, along with other researchers from a German research center for environmental health, made a daring gamble and found interesting discoveries in the course of their research. They actually, uh, it's a new treatment of diabetes that has found great success in treating obesity. Uh, We'd like to welcome Dr. DeMarkey onto the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. DeMarkey. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Great to have you on. Now, now talk about your research. Teach us what, what did you learn in your research, and, and what, talk about the treatment and how it's helping. So this is research that has been um, maturing and progressing over several decades uh, since the uh, initial appreciation for a set of peptides known as incretins that control how we manage metabolism at the time of uh, a meal. Hmm. And these, uh, these peptides improve our glycemic control and suppress our appetite. And uh, we have been working chemically to build single molecules that combine the virtues of these individual uh, peptides into a, a single entity. Wow. So you, you now can um, increase those peptides, which will take care of, I guess, like sugar control and decrease someone's appetite. Right. So the, the, the most advanced of these entities uh, 
would be drugs that are that are known as uh, Bayetta or Victosa. The active ingredient is a single peptide that bears the acronym GLP-1, and it has been registered for the treatment of, of diabetes, and it's quite effective in improving glycemic control. And uh, with this therapy, patients typically uh, experience a modest decrease in body weight. Huh. Uh, as much as five, five, six percent. Wow! Over the course of uh, a, a year of of therapy, is, so that's that's the first element. Is this peptide? Um, is the lack of the peptide what's causing the obesity, or does the obesity no, cause the peptide problem? It's a it's a great question. It it doesn't appear as if there is an a deficiency of this peptide as there is of insulin in a juvenile onset diabetic. So what we're dealing with is is pharmacology as opposed to replacement Hmm. physiology. So we're using this at doses that are beyond what one might have physiologically to achieve the benefits that we see clinically. Hmm. So this, this, this sounds like a breakthrough. Uh, it, it clearly has been an important advance in the treatment of uh, maturity onset diabetes, and uh, with time, we're seeing the application to juvenile onset diabetics in combination with with insulin. Huh. Our work uh, now takes that one entity and adds to it a second and third component, and that's what we published in this seminal uh, Nature Medicine. Uh, Articles that I think captured uh, your your attention, and these two additional uh, elements uh, function by unique mechanisms to provide additional efficacy that helps in improving glycemic control and in further lowering body weight. Those compounds are in clinical studies as we uh, as we speak. So with the with the addition of the second and third I guess iterations of the the study is has that increased by more than like a 2 or 3 4% more of weight loss? Well we won't know exactly what one can achieve in um in human studies until these advanced clinical studies are complete. Hmm. But in in rodent studies, we've seen dramatic increases in the potency, that is the amount of material that has to be used, as well as the efficacy, the amount of improvement that that one sees. So working with as little as one-tenth the dose of the first generation huh. um, uh, peptides, one sees as much as a doubling of the of the efficacy, and that's what we would hope we can replicate in human human studies. You bet. Um, it, it, with thirty million people that have diabetes, um, it sounds like uh, I mean the research in this area is um, it's so needed, it's so essential. Are we? Are, do you sense overall that we're making a, a, a lot of headway in the research in diabetes type one and so, two? So I, I believe that we we do. Let me begin by by indicating that the number that that you quote is is a U.S. number. Oh yeah. Look globally, it's it's a. It's much, much larger. It's estimated that in India alone, there may be as many as 100 million uh, diabetics. That's how the magnitude of the the problem. 
and it's being driven by uh, differences in lifestyle, a more sedentary uh, lifestyle, as well as in in appetite as as uh, high caloric uh, foods become more more prevalent uh, globally. But to your specific question, I believe that that we have significantly under, advanced our understanding of the molecular mechanisms that are driving this excess body weight uh, as well as how we might intervene more intelligently to minimize the the additional weight and better yet uh, decrease uh, body weight for those that are afflicted with with disease so type one is the is the the child onset that's something's wrong. Um, physiologically, I guess it's it's caused by pancreas or something, and you can educate us. Right. And this and type two then is adult onset, which would generally be more attributed to um, diet. So, so type one is is the juvenile onset form. It's the more notable form because of the, the importance of the discovery of insulin almost a century ago and the role that it played in, in sustaining life for, for children that were afflicted with the disease. The mean onset is approximately 14 years of age. Hmm. In terms of prevalence, it's, it's less than 10% of those that have a diabetes. The much more prevalent form wow. is the adult onset, which not long ago was occurring with a mean age of approximately 54 years. But with this explosion of, uh, of obesity, the epidemic that we're seeing, uh, the age of onset is becoming progressively early to a point where, as you noted in your introduction, we're seeing what we called adult onset disease in adolescence. Oh, wow. And this is a very frightening phenomenon because we know that the long-term complications of diabetes, the eye disease, nerve disease, kidney disease, come some period after the onset of diabetes, as much as a decade later. Well, when disease begins at roughly 55 years of age, that is a particular problem oh, yeah. for folks in their 60s and 70s. But when it occurs at an age of 15, you can see that what we're doing is converting type 2 disease into something that looks like type 1 or juvenile onset disease. So uh, it's a problem for, for patients. It's a problem for providers, it's a problem for payers, and, and for society in general, given just the economic burden of, of diabetes on, on healthcare systems. We're talking with uh, Dr. Richard DeMarkey, um, a researcher in the field of diabetes. Dr. DeMarkey, teach us what we need to do. Um, I mean, obviously, everyone's trying to educate better diets, better everything, but what really, as, as a researcher that sees it and is studying it, what would you just say to the rest of us? Um, you've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. You also know the hope that's coming down um, from the research. What does it look like going forward, and well, what should well, we be doing? I, I, I remain optimistic, and, and, and I, I believe that, that, that technology is a part of the, the solution, and I remain very um, uh, bullish about these, uh, these new um, – uh, chemical entities, drug candidates that we have developed, as well as others that are emerging from other academic and industrial laboratories. 
But the, the best advice starts with, with a healthy lifestyle, appropriate uh, diet, and, and exercise. Um, what that does is it sustains the, the viability, the health of your pancreas, which is the, the factory that is making the insulin that controls your blood glucose. Uh, it also helps sustain your sensitivity to insulin so that you need to use less insulin. I suspect if we all lived long enough, we'd probably all develop diabetes at some point mm. in time because the pancreas has a, a finite uh, lifespan. And so what we're trying to do is, uh, is maintain its viability, its health, so that uh, it is functioning well into our 70s, 80s, and, and even beyond. But that's all a function of maintaining insulin sensitivity, and your body weight is a significant factor in how sensitive you remain to, to, mm. to insulin. Well, Dr. Richard DeMarkey, we appreciate uh, your time and your research. Keep up the great work. And, uh, man, folks, our body's sensitive. Uh, let's not be taking it for granted. Again, Dr. Richard DeMarkey, great work there from the University of uh, Indiana. We're going to take a break, my friends. Wrap up hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number two. Townsend Palooza. Did you hear about that drone? The drone crashed carrying asparagus. That would never happen with a bag of Cheetos. No. And nothing worse than asparagus spears falling out of the sky. It's dangerous. <laughs> So how did Uncle John die? Well, he was speared by an asparagus attack, a terrorist asparagus attack. Welcome to the program, friends. Have we got a show for you? Hey, today uh, we're going to be talking about optimism. Um, it could be uh, possibly too much of a good thing. Is it possible to be too optimistic? You know, you're walking on sunshine and the next thing you know, you get hit by a bus. <laughs> Maybe there's a maybe there's a side to all of this that uh, you know optimism's great, but we also you know might want to balance it with something else. We'll be talking to Amy Morin a little bit later about five ways an overly optimistic outlook can be harmful to your health or in your life. Uh, again, that's the goal of the show is to give you the tools to make it through life in a healthy, happy way. Now, here's the deal: I got my Fitbit. I'm feeling better. I've already had water. I, I did notice last hour during the interviews, you tend to fidget quite I stand a bit up. in your chair. I stand up. Well, I, I do fidget a lot. Yeah. And part of that, I've decided, is because I'm fidgety. Okay. Yeah. See the correlation? So I've noticed if I stand now, I can get some of that energy out. I can go run a little bit. In the middle of the interview, I get them talking, then I just take a lap. The but, but if you stand up, you do burn more calories That's what because your body yeah. is trying to stabilize yourself. Yeah. And so there's muscles that are constantly firing. 
and you tend to kind of shift your weight and move around a little bit. And so that little bit of movement is more obviously than why, sitting there. Why, when you were just saying all that, why were you looking at my gut? I didn't look at your gut. Don't lie. Oh, James is moving. It's, I mean, it's hard to miss, but I was not. <laughs> but James, look at James moving. I'm just yeah. standing. Well, he's kind of shifty. What are you doing? Just standing. Ja- jazzercise. Wow. <laughs> You're sitting though, Matt. That's Yeah. When we get into the guest, I'll stand again. I, I like to pace myself. I don't want to overstand. Right. Well, it's your first day. You don't want to jump right into a physical yeah. lifestyle. The thing is, yeah. And yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and <laughs> the foot. I got the foot well, thing. The so, foot. you know, the longer I'm on it, then, you know, eventually I'll be, I'll need to be carried home from anything I do this afternoon. Well, you have a car. Yeah, but somebody's got to carry me to my car. Oh, okay. You know how it is. We have people for that. Hey, um, anything going on in the news? So Rand Paul declared for He's in. He's pres- in. his presidential desires. Yeah. He uh, did a bunch of interviews. He had some journalism advice for the reporters talking to him. That always goes well when politicians start telling journalists what to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he said, don't ask me about my flip-flops. That's basically the message he's sharing with these journalists. Paul isn't talking. Never mind. This is. Don't ask me about my flip. Like, like this, this, this because he used to have certain views and now he's flipped to another view. But the article says, no, Paul isn't talking about the footwear you can buy in his online store. (laughs) Apparently there's Rand Paul branded flip flops are 20 bucks. Oh, wow. I was telling you yesterday about all the different things. Don't ask me about all my gear. So in an interview Wednesday with the New York Times, Paul called out reporters for trying to pin him down on those apparent contradictions. Earlier in the day, Paul chastised NBC's Savannah Guthrie and suggested a better way for her to conduct her interviews after she asked him to explain his perceived political evolutions. Interesting. She outlined, I watched the the video, she outlined all these things he had said at one point, and then from the speech he gave just the other day, all the things now he's saying about those same topics, and he stopped her and goes, no, 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 you're editorializing, just ask a question. And she goes, I, I, I did. I was setting it up and then asking you the question. But so. see, his base will love that. Absolutely. Like we talked on the show yesterday about the, the, the left-leaning you know, media. So the right are going to love that. Oh, he just took her on. And, and one, of the, one of the issues that may come up, I don't know if it's come up yet, but the idea that the, most of the Republicans want to deal with Iran in a military way. Right. Rand Paul wants us basically to get out. Yeah. We don't even need to be over there. What are we doing over don't there? Need, we don't need to negotiate. We don't need to be over there militarily. Just just get out of the region. And now he has to kind of lean that direction yeah. towards the military options. See, but remember, this is how they this is how they uh, attacked uh, Romney as well on the flip flopper, flip flopper, right. the etch a sketch. Yeah, I'm just going to erase the etch a sketch. Also Wednesday, uh, Ron Paul repeatedly declined to outline his position on abortion in a test interview with the Associated Press. So New York Times, NBC News, Associated Press, he got kind of agitated at questions. Welcome to your new political world. More than 70,000 people are expected to flock to downtown Nashville for the National Rifle Association convention this weekend. Okay, wow. They will not be able to pack live weapons into the meeting, though. 90,000? 70. 70,000. But no no weapons. No weapons into the meeting. Well, live weapons. It says all guns at the convention will have to be (laughs) non-operational with their firing pins or strikers removed, and weapons purchased at the convention will have to be picked up later with an ID at a gun dealer near the buyer's home. Well, they've got to do that. You'd You'd be a very terrified speaker if everyone in the room had a gun. 
It's the NRA, though. Everyone there is a responsible gun owner, correct? Yeah, until you say something offensive, yeah. then it's just going to get ugly. I just found that funny. You can't have a gun at the, at the an yeah. operational gun at the gun convention. So everybody brings broken guns. I found this during your interview with the uh, the tax girl. Yeah, Bloomberg dot com published. Uh, the IRS has a new favorite people to audit. Oh, really? Gives us some statistics on who gets audited, that kind of thing. The average taxpayer's chances of being audited has tumbled 23% in three years, in line with an IRS budget that has dropped and inflation-adjusted 17% since 2010. Wow. So as their budget drops, they have less people to actually conduct the audits. Therefore, it would reason that the number of audits drop. Only 0.9% of individual taxpayers were audited last year, the lowest proportion in seven years. That's interesting. Says if you make two hundred thousand to one million annually, your chances of an audit are around two point two percent. Goes up when you make more. More than double the average. It's even higher for the extra wealthy people who earn a million or more are audited at a rate of seven point five percent. Ah, great. But so even I'm those dead. rates are dropping because of a lack of staffing and budget. Yeah. The only major group that saw an increase in their chances of an audit last year: taxpayers living overseas. There's really? a lot more chances for. Errors when you're dealing with the different laws when you're not living here. Last year, the IRS audits of individuals uncovered $11 billion in unpaid taxes, 15% less than the year before. We need money. They need to – come on. (laughs) The IRS commissioner estimates that budget cuts mean that the government is losing at least $2 billion a year in revenue because they can't do audits to find the problems. Isn't that interesting? So – and now there's this huge battle in Congress with the Republican Party and the IRS – even wanting to cut more. Yes. And his, and he addresses that. He says, it's a classic example of being penny wise and a pound foolish. So we cut money and we're losing money. Yeah, even though that's your... When revenue. the whole point of cutting money is supposedly to save, yeah. it's not working. Well, and again, speaking on all the Americans' behalf, I think that's great. But despite all that, <laughs> the IRS still managed to boost its net collections by 8% last year to $2.7 trillion. Oh, so they're, maybe they're targeting bigger targets. Yeah. More money and per. That, and that's what they're saying. Is that's the, great. The more you make, the more chances of an audit because there's more there to gather. Yeah. Whereas the individual, just everyday kind of person, it's not really worth their time to bother with you. It's kind of like when somebody won't bend over and pick up a nickel. Right. It's a nickel. Like, who cares? I mean, a penny. You remember, you used to, everyone would go after a penny. But now if there's a penny on the ground, would you bend over and pick it up? The U.S. Senate is trying to get a handle on hundreds of sensitive, closely held surveillance programs. A Senate committee is compiling a secret encyclopedia of American intelligence collection operational names. Oh, really? Because they all have different code names, all have different, you know, purposes. And so they're putting together an encyclopedia so they can go look it up and find out what all this stuff means. Oh, that's cool. I need. I want to get a copy of that. Yeah, they'll publish that, and the salesman will be door to door to bring you your copy. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? There's so many going on. We need an encyclopedia. Yeah, they can't. It's, I, I can imagine it's really difficult oh, to keep track because yeah. you, you hear all the different code names. And, yeah, yeah. I think we need more code names on the show. Okay. Do you have uh, any suggestions? Um, I think I want to call James Wispy. Ooh. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't think he likes that name, but... You didn't seem to like that one. Wispy? Yeah. What? I don't know. Just sounds flashy. No, not really. Yeah, it doesn't, not at all, Flashy actually. does not sounds, equal that at all. Sounds like you're agile, because like when you were bouncing back and forth, you seemed wispy. Like you were wispy. Hmm. Back and forth. I'd like say a, spry before wispy. Yeah. 
Spry, yeah, would assume fast. I was saying your feet were entrenched like a weed blowing in the wind. Whisper willow. You're not very good at this, by the way. See, this is why I don't do code names. Okay. You yeah. should use code names in some of your counseling work. Yeah, no. <laughs> we do, use, we use, use a labels? lot of other names. Do you label people when they come in? Yeah. They go, you look to me like you you're a... messed up. I don't think that would be proactive. Yeah, no, we don't use counseling. labels. We don't want to just label it. But So you don't like Wispy? No. So much so you just turn the music on. Yep. It's like, we're done. <laughs> if you're going Wispy... Okay, you come up with your own code name. And it can't be a superhero. Okay. I like Wispy. We're going to take a break, friends. Uh, Is it possible that you can be overly optimistic? Is it possible that you can have too much of a good thing? You know, we push a lot about optimism, be positive. But you know what? In the end, there's there's another side uh, to life that also might be very valuable to look at. Amy Morin is going to be joining us, teaching us more uh, about optimism and some of the ways that we might uh, want to think that might not always be as positive. That's up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Did you ever think that the phrase too much of a good thing could apply to optimism? You know, there may be times that winning the lottery is not the best backup plan if your business venture fails. Psychologist Amy Morin joins us now. Uh, She says there's five ways that being overly optimistic can negatively affect you. She is a licensed counseling social or clinical social worker and uh, also uh, is the author of the book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Take back your power, embrace change, face your fears, and train your brain for uh, happiness and success. You can find out more about her work on her website, um, amymorinlcsw.com. Amy, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me. This is such a great uh, topic because all the time we seem to be pushing people to be optimistic. Come on, be positive. But uh, you in this article talk about the fact that, you know, not everything uh, is going to be uh, – it it won't always help us to always be optimistic. Yeah, I think some people just take that idea that you should think positive sort of to the extreme, and it actually can become detrimental after a while. If you're always only looking on the bright side, then there's things that you're going to miss, and you got to be realistic. It's great to be optimistic, but you got to balance it out with some realism there too. Yeah. It's um, it's funny because just the idea of you know yeah someday I'll win the lotto, <laughs> that's not the best way to create a retirement plan. Right, and so often we hear people say things like, "Well, just think positive, and everything will work out." Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> your thoughts alone will not create this that's wonderful right. outcome. You know? You, yeah, you actually need to go take your leg that's broken and go to the doctor and have it set. Exactly. <laughs> you could be as positive as you want. That's not going to help, is it? Right. Talk about um, in, in your article, again, on Psychology Today, which is such a great resource. Uh, talk about some of the – just some of the, the, the things we need to watch out for, some of the ways that being too optimistic might be impacting us. And, and some of these are very just naturally human, right? This is just what humans do. 
Absolutely. And so we're all prone to this, I think. Even, you know, people that say that they're pessimistic, I think that there's parts of them that can be overly optimistic still. And, you know, the first one is that we tend to think that we're above average in almost everything that we do. (laughs) And so when they survey people and they say, well, you know, are you a better or a worse driver than average? Well, 80% of people seem to think that they're better. Well, statistically, that's not possible. 50% are above and 50% are below. But yet... I think almost all of us think, yeah, I'm better than, than most people. And we do that in other areas of our lives, too. You know, when they interview students, who whether they think they're smarter or if they think they have a better chance of landing a big job at, after graduation, the vast majority of them think that they're better than average. And we do this in business. We do this in all types of areas of our lives. But it's great to have self-confidence. But the problem is when you think that you're better than average, often it keeps us from wanting to work on our skills or become better because we think, oh, I don't have to do that because I'm already doing better than most people. (laughs) It's so true. Like, um, even in the dating world, I I see a bunch of clients that, you know, they're single, but they're, they have, you know, they're better than everyone else. Hello. And nobody gets how great I am. Oh my heavens. So when I look at this, um, I, I guess the opposite that we think about is, are these people that always think that they're worse than ever, but, that's not the. That's not what you're saying. You're not saying you need to go think horrible about, horribly about yourself. You're just saying be real. Right. Let's you know. Let's at least be open to the possibility that perhaps our our view of ourselves isn't a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes just sort of opening your eyes to that possibility that maybe you're not always the best or you're not always the worst, but maybe the truth lies somewhere in between. Or at least recognize, well, you know, I'm pretty good at A, B, and C, but here's some other areas where I could improve or you know, you're probably not always the best driver. <laughs> no, I mean, right? Statistically, you're not. Right. Um, but you know, you've got days where you're probably not <laughs> playing at your at your peak either, and, and that you have ways that you could improve yourself so that you don't become so overly confident that it becomes a problem. Why, why do you think we have this tendency? Why, I mean, why would it seems it seems evolutionarily this would be counter to health because it would it would leave you set up to get you know. T-boned or attacked by a tiger, why would we have this sense that we are better than average? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're fairly self-centered. You know, we think our world sort of revolves around us, whether we admit it or not, that there's a piece of us that does that. And so we don't really think about other people's driving other than when somebody cuts us off or when we see a bad driver. And that sort of reinforces to us, well, that person's a terrible driver. I must be better. Right. We do that in other areas of our lives. When we see people that aren't doing things well, we tend to notice it a lot more and then think, well, I don't do those things, so I must be better than average. <laughs> so a healthy view of this is just to say, um, okay, so where do I really fit in certain areas? How do you get the feedback I guess without being offended, because if I just really collected the data, um, it's you know it's it could be hurtful. Well, you know, I think just to to recognize you don't have to be better than average in in everything you do, and in fact, you know, it just gives you an opportunity to know you've got places to grow, skills you can still sharpen, things to work on in life, which we all need things that we're working on every day, but. You know, if you have a good friend or family member who can give you some honest feedback and you're willing to accept it, yeah. not everybody is. But if you are, that can be a wonderful way to say, oh, okay, I, you know, perhaps my driving's a little scary sometimes or perhaps, you know, my sales skills aren't aren't as good as I think that they are. Um, and to, you know, just be 
more mindful and willing to, to take a step back sometimes and think about it. Often we go through our days and we don't take any time out to really think about our progress or how we're doing or whether, you know, am I doing better today than I was yesterday? Most people don't ever set 10 minutes aside to really think about those things. Yeah, I, I think it's true. We're always, you know, more into results than direction and and you know, the way, the, the area we're heading to. We're talking with uh, Amy uh, Morin from the website amymorinlcsw.com. She's a Psychology Today uh, blogger and has written an article about the five ways an overly optimistic outlook can be harmful. The first way she's explained is the, uh, the you know this belief that we we are above average. Okay, you know we've all kind of got that a little bit. Uh, number two, though, you bring up um, this will be easy mindset. A lot of people, I guess, Amy, just think everything's going to be easy. Yeah, I'll, you know we often underestimate how how challenging something's going to be, and as a result, we sell ourselves short. So whether you think, oh, you know, that presentation I'm going to give next week, that'll be easy. I don't really have to prepare for it. Or when somebody says, how often do you hear people say, oh, I could could quit smoking if I wanted to. (laughs) It'd be easy. Or, you know, those sorts of things when we tend to underestimate the gravity of the situation or how hard it is for us to make a change or how hard it is going to be to do something really sets us up for this sort of failure where if you don't practice, you don't rehearse, you don't go into something thinking realistically, then maybe you don't give it your all or you don't end up trying as hard or you don't acknowledge, okay, this is, you know, day two of quitting smoking is going to be particularly hard or, you know, when you just walk into it assuming everything's going to go smoothly and overestimating how great you are, it really it really can set you up for failure. Oh, Yeah. And it's also interesting that maybe there's a mentality somewhere in there that it should be easy. Right. I mean, where uh, where does that come from? Like, what in life is – ah, what you do is you just go have the baby, uh-huh. and we just kind of skip all the hard stuff. Just have the baby, then raise it, and then, oh, yeah, you know, when I, they graduate, you guys will be free again. I blame our digital world partly on our on our mindset because I think, you know, you can get everything at the touch of a button and you can there's no lines, no waiting and we just expect things to happen immediately. Yeah. And I think as a result we were like, Oh yeah, I could do anything tomorrow and, <laughs> and it would be great but we don't really realize that our personal change doesn't work as fast as a computer or the digital world does. Maybe um I had a guest on a while ago. Actually actually not a while ago last week probably, talking about how um, narcissism, we may have created narcissism by this really strong push in the 80s and the 90s uh, for self-esteem training in schools. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if some of these aren't magnified by the impact of our own self-esteem. Like, oh, everything's easy. Every we've, maybe we've told everybody it's easy because you're so great. You're so above average, everything's easy. You're so above average, everything's easy. And maybe we've just drilled it into people's heads. You know, I think that's very probable that we spent so much time you know, teaching kids, you're special. But then they grow up believing, I am special, therefore I am better. That's right. Mom says, I can do anything. Right. Says the 40-year-old unemployed guy living in the basement. Exactly. I mean, it's so real. Uh, this is this is great learning. We're talking with Amy Moore, and we're going to take a break. Amy, when we come back, I'd love to learn the other three keys we need to watch out for. She's teaching us five ways that an overly optimistic outlook can be harmful. Go to her website, amymorinlcsw.com, amymorinlcsw.com. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends. Little Bob Marley for you. Three little birds. Uh, we're on the phone with Amy Morin. She's an LCSW and uh, is the author of a blog uh, entry on psychology today called Five Ways an Overly Optimistic Outlook Can Be Harmful. She's uh, joining us right now. She's also the author of the book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And uh, Amy, welcome to the show. I appreciate your lessons here. They seem so basic, but so important. Absolutely. You know, I love to share share with people. I'm an optimistic person by nature, but I'm also a realistic person, too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that's the key is you're not saying don't be optimistic, but you're, you're also saying don't be... Don't be naive. Don't be unrealistic. Life has got – you need to see the whole picture. That's just that. Exactly. That's pretty basic. So two things you've taught us are already. Most of us tend to think we're above average, and most of us are, if anything, average. Um, and uh, the second one is that this concept that everything's going to be easy. That's that's probably a myth. A lot of the most important things in life are hard, and if you really want to make it work, you're going to have to probably work hard at it. It won't always be a cakewalk. Talk to us about uh, your third point, confusing positive thinking and magical thinking. Yeah, sometimes, somewhere along the lines, people got this idea that positive thinking, you know, somehow changes the universe. So, for example, somebody might go to a job interview and they come home and they say, boy, I don't think that that went very well. And their spouse or somebody else says, well, just think positive. Yeah. If your positive thoughts are somehow <laughs> going to influence the interviewer's yeah. mindset, and you're, that will make you get hired. And I think there's a lot of examples of those things where people will say, you know, well, just think positive and you'll get that. Or these people that, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for the law of attraction, but again, it needs to be linked with behavior that makes things come true. That well, just, yeah. There's other laws other than the law of attraction, like how about the law of the harvest, where you reap what you sow, and the law of sacrifice, and the law of, um, you know, passion or potential. I mean, there's other laws, and and I love the idea that this is kind of a magical thing. Hey, sure, you didn't get the job, but if you'll take these magical beans and go bury them in the backyard— Right. And well, I run into people that will say, you know, I've got a vision board. I've got a picture of a Ferrari on it. So I just know I'm going to get a Ferrari. Well, looking at that picture of your Ferrari every day, unless you use that as a motivator to go to work. That's true. That's going to happen. <laughs> you could just sit in your room staring at your Ferrari picture. But And I, I love I love that. Um, again, there's so many people that talk about the law of attraction, the secret. That was a big movement. Um and it's a very important principle when it's, I think, aligned with other principles. It's also interesting. Tell me your take on this. Does um, th- there is a part of optimism and and having that positive thought in your mind? But don't you also need the contrasting thought of what what actually would get you the job? And wh- you know, what do you need to improve so you can go get the job? You need the contrast, don't you? That's just it. I think if we always thought everything was going to come our way, I mean, you'd never try hard, because why would you? If you thought thinking alone was enough to get good things to happen, then, yeah, you need the opposite view, too, of knowing, okay, well, what can I do? And I think there's a lot to be said, too, for then knowing, okay, I got this because of my hard work, not because I just sat at home and thought about it. (laughs) That's right. I mean, don't get me wrong, Amy. I believe in unicorns, (laughs) and I believe in leprechauns, and... um, (laughs) But in the end, it still might take more than all that magical positive thinking. Right. Uh, so sad, but so true. Talk about uh, your fourth point, assuming things will always go according to plan. 
Yeah, sometimes I hear people say things like, you know, I'm going to start a business this year, and this is what I'm going to do, and nobody's going to stop me. It's going to happen no matter what. And it's like they have a plan A, but they're thinking so positively that plan A is going to work that they don't even consider having a plan B. (laughs) And when you do that, again, I think, well, things often don't go according to plan. You're going to run into roadblocks and challenges and setbacks, but if you don't have a plan for that, then you're just not ready, and then you're sort of left thinking, well, gee, how did all this happen? Uh (laughs) You know, and I see it with people who are going to lose weight, you know, like, I'm going to lose 40 pounds by next month, and it's going to happen, but they don't really think about, okay, well, when I go to that family barbecue, what am I going to do that day? Am I going to eat with everybody else, or am I going to do something else, or you know, bring my own food or something like that. But when people aren't planning ahead other than thinking this is what I'm going to do and nobody's going to stop me, it really leaves you unprepared for the reality of the situation. You bet. And that's why it seems like the movement in psychology and sociology is this idea of resiliency, that you you have the ability to be adaptable and to adapt to the change. And again, if all you're hoping for is that the plan works, but you can't adapt and create a new plan in the midst of the first plan not working, you're going to be, you know, roadkill. Right. And, you know, I think we're all much stronger than we think that we are, and we can handle more challenges and setbacks. But in my therapy office, I have people come in and they'll say, well, you know, it's not an option for this not to work. I'm going to make it work no matter what. And Uh having that mindset is good as long as you know that you're probably going to run into a lot of challenges along the way. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. Um, and even just trying to ask the question to some people, so, okay, I, know, I mean, I know in your mind you know that this has to work, so what if it doesn't? Right. And they won't even go there with you. Oh, no, 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 no. It, it, it's not, it, it just can't. It has to. Okay, so let's just say it doesn't. Then what? Well, I don't want to go there. Okay, well, until we can go there, then you probably don't deserve to have it work. Right. Until right. you're independent and free enough to go there to not have to have it work. Like I have that with couples all the time. I'm sure you see this with marriage that, oh, we will never divorce. I will not. We are not divorcing. I am not going to divorce him. Well, just OK. Let's just say that he just divorced you. <laughs> well, what would you then do? I have no idea. But they're terrified because they're not independent enough to know that they can go on. So they have to. So they go. They go stay codependent with somebody that's dysfunctional. Right. Mm. How do we get out of that? Yeah, that's mess? a tough one, right? But I think again, it's about helping people understand that they're stronger than they know, and that they can, you know, be more resilient, and you can handle more things, and that you know, mm. uncomfortable to step out of your comfort zone, but it won't kill you. Yeah. No. Right. Exactly. The last point that you bring up is that we need to um, – that, that a lot of people like live by when it comes to optimism is idealizing the truth. What, yeah. do, what do you mean by that? You know, whether somebody's in business and maybe there's some, some red flags that, uh, you know, the company's headed downhill, but they're like, oh, if I just think positive, things will turn around or, or we'll be great or they ignore it altogether. But people also do that in relationships, right? Somebody right. gets in a relationship and they think, well – you know, he's, he lies and he does these things that I don't like, but he treats me really well, so I'll just focus on the fact that he treats me well and try to kind of ignore the, the truth about the situation. And that sort of attitude is naive, and it can get you in a lot of trouble because you're not looking at the whole picture and that it's not, 
negativity to recognize what's there right in front of you. It's just realistic. But I think so many people who want to be optimistic just sort of justify, I'm going to ignore red flags and warning signs in my life that something's headed the wrong direction or that things aren't right because I'm going to be positive as a result. Nothing. Bad things happen when you ignore those warning signs. Well, it seems like what we're doing is we're we're supplanting optimism for – I mean optimism should be your healthy mechanism to deal with everything that's bad. It shouldn't be the mechanism you use to not pay attention to anything that's bad, right? So you should be able to notice – you should be positive and when things go poorly, you should then optimistically process what went wrong. And yes. optimistically go through and positively go through learning in the things that weren't so healthy. Right. It, it's right. It's this. It's the tool that helps us deal with the difficult stuff. Right. Instead of you know, I think so many it. people then use it as a way to sort of cloud their judgment. Instead of looking at things for what it is, they just try to look through rose-colored glasses so much that it it really does cloud their judgment and their ability to make good decisions. Oh my heavens! See, Amy, this is why you have a living. This is why you make so much money. Clearly, right? <laughs> because it's human. This is all human nature, isn't it? But it's, it is. But it's not helping. Right, right. I mean, we do the same thing, I think, in politics. We do the same thing in our policies and governments. Is Yeah, sure, the tax code's crazy. We just talked about that earlier. But it's, you know what? We've got a lot of good stuff because of it. Okay, right. sure. Now, can we go deal with the tax code that nobody can understand without hiring 20 people to do it? It's um, it might be an Achilles heel, huh? I mean, nine eleven it probably opened up a lot of our eyes to the other side of stuff we should have been fixing for a while. Right, and hmm. I always tell people to you know how do you train your brain to be a constructive optimist that you can you can have some balanced thoughts where it's okay to still recognize the silver lining in situations, but don't ignore the other stuff that's going on too. Yeah, no, that's great advice. You also focus a lot on balance and. I guess that's part of the constructive optimism is just kind of a balanced approach to to all of these areas. Right. Anytime you get into thinking, I'm the best or things will never go wrong, those two words, always and never, (laughs) should be red flags. (laughs) That's so true, isn't it? Yeah. So true. Well, Amy, we appreciate you. Um, We, I guess, suggest strongly, everybody go check out that book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. They don't. They take back their, your power, embrace change, face your fears, and train your brain for happiness and success. It's a best-selling book, translated in more than twenty languages. You can also go to uh, Amy's website, and which is amymorinlcsw.com. Go check that out as well, and and go look for more of her writing on psychology today. Ah, isn't that just a basic concept? But man, even the basic things we got to focus on too. We'll take a break. Come back. When we come back, we're going to get into the coach's corner. I'm going to give you some uh, some ideas, some tools to uh, you know also keep managing the optimism, but bringing a little more realism into your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, on the show, we like to uh, give you the tools that you need, the 
the resources to make it through life. Life is tough, and there's curveballs, there's surprises, things you never expected to happen, and um, and letdowns. And and in fact, most of the time, life just doesn't play out the way you would think it would, right? So as part of that, uh, I like to do this coach's corner, which is basically what I do for a living. Um, I get to sit down with people and help them work through, talk through, figure out what's going on in their life. And as I was uh, reading and and talking to Amy Morin, one of the things um, I learned about uh, optimism, because I'm a very optimistic person, and I think it honestly is a fatal flaw because I don't end up looking at the other stuff, the other half of the information. And when I work with people and I work with relationships and I work with you know some people that are just stuck, one of the reasons we get stuck is because a lot of us only have access to half of the information, right? I mean, I only have access to the information I'm allowing my brain to let in. And if I'm not going to let in the entire spectrum of data, then I'm setting myself up. For example, if I go have a job interview and I don't allow some of the negative stuff that happened in the interview or the embarrassing stuff that they asked me that I didn't even have an answer for. Um, I've been in an interview uh, for a radio show before where they were coming to interview to be involved in a radio show and yet they hadn't listened to the show there or any of the shows on the station that they're interviewing at. Now, If you get asked a question, so um, have you listened to the show? And the person's like, oh, no, no. Oh, really? I mean, that very question should be giving you some information that might be able to tutor you or help you in the next interview if you don't happen to get this one because you didn't do some research. But if you don't allow that data in and look for that information, guess what? You're, you now have access to half of the information. If all you want to do is go pretend like you did the interview, but you didn't pick up information that's just sitting right there in the interview, no wonder you end up being stuck, not progressing. And I think a lot of us do this in a lot of our conversations and, and in our interactions. We hear what we want to hear. We frame it the way we want to frame. And then we just generally drop right back to a story that we keep telling about somebody in our life that just doesn't get us. They, you know what? I knew you wouldn't get me. I, I shouldn't have brought it up. I, you know, I knew you didn't understand. Or you might just drop out of that interview process thinking the same story that it's a really hard time to get a job right now. People don't want millennials, so it's hard to go get a job right now. That's just a story because there are millennials getting jobs every day, Right. There are, you know, senior baby boomers that are getting jobs every day too. So if our story is that baby boomers can't get a job or that millennials can't get a job and you keep telling the story instead of accessing and picking up real data that is involved that exists in every single real-time situation in your life, then guess what? You're doomed to repeat it. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. However, in every interaction with every human being that's ever brought you problems, guess what? Inside of that interaction, 
is a lot of information that could free you from the next interaction. It's like, I just call it data. But you have to look at the a data and assess it. And sometimes I'm worried if we're too overly positive or optimistic, we, f- we forget to see the whole picture. Earlier I gave an example with Amy uh, Morin about the idea of you know, people that say, no, 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 we, w- we will never divorce. We were married in the church. We will never divorce. Well, that's a really great idea, except divorce isn't always a two-way decision. A lot of the times it could be made by one person. But telling the story that we will never divorce might be having you miss some important information that if we don't make some changes soon— it could get ugly. Ah, we've got to start picking up all of the data, or not even all of it, because I don't think that's humanly possible, but picking up more of it. And one of the ways to do that is to start just noticing how you process through difficult things. Do you just quickly, after a bad interview, get in your car, go to a restaurant chain, and buy a shake? Is that what you do? Do you uh, get home as fast as you can, and, you know, get in your comfy clothes after a really tough discussion at work and just, you know, eat chips. What do you do? Do you just get really busy as a mom who uh, whose kids aren't communicating with her and just stay so busy creating more things for them to do that – and that's going to fill the void – Or is there a way to sit down and start to understand, man, my kids don't seem to want to talk to me. So what is that? What is that about? And instead of saying, immediately going to a story, well, I'm a bad mom. They hate me. Or my kids are bad kids. They're just weird. Or they're boys. Boys will be boys. Boys don't want to talk. Instead of just going to an automatic story, research it. Bring it up. Hey, boys, you know, I've noticed that when you come home, I try to ask you a lot of questions about school and you never share any information with me. What's up with that? And just try to get some information. Nothing, really. Just want to go play with my friends. Okay, so maybe we could learn from that. Maybe the child doesn't want to come home, sit with mom, be given a treat, and then drilled for 10 minutes on what's going on. Maybe when he says, I just want to go play with friends, maybe what he means right then is he just wants to go play with friends. So what would that teach us? I guess I'll never talk to my kid. No, 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 no. It might be teaching us that you need to find another time to try to have a conversation when they know that we're going to have time to do it, right? And that might be, you know, when we're driving to their sports event and they're in the back seat and you've got them and you might just say, great, I'm fine if you want to go play with friends, but can we just make a deal that maybe when we're driving to your carpool to your game later today, will you just fill me in on what you did at school in your day? Because I really, you're important to me and I really want to know. Right? So we just change. But the only way I can change is if I know what's going on. Does that make sense? So it's a great thing to be optimistic and positive. I totally am a highly optimistic, positive person. And we need to get more of the data. We need to get more of the facts, which is why some of our silly little fighting and arguing patterns don't work in our lives. They don't work because we quit gathering data, which is why I believe politically in our world we're so messed up as well because nobody is listening to be changed. Everybody is trying to communicate to change everyone else. No one is open to listening and being willing to be changed. 
because both sides in the argument, in every discussion, is convinced that the other side is absolutely wrong and messed up. And instead, we need to listen. We need to start opening up and finding out what's going on and then see where we have agreement. And it's a basic concept. And again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we got to do something different. When you keep doing what you've always been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've always been getting. That's just a matter of fact. If you want to change your life, you're also probably going to have to change your stories. Quit being the victim of people. Quit being – quit making everybody that doesn't like you a villain. Quit making yourself the saint. As Amy was talking about, the majority of humans believe that they're above average in driving in everything they do. Every one of us thinks we are the cat's meow. And you know what, folks? You're not. You're messed up. Come on. You're messed up. We all are. So if I came up, brought a microphone, put it right in front of your face today and asked you, okay, you, you know you're not great at everything. Oh, yeah. No, I know. So give me some things in your life that day to day you know you're not very good at, but you do them every day. Would that be an easy thing? Would you know instantly, oh, well, let's get started. I don't like to get up in the morning. <laughs> I don't like to get dressed. I don't like to shower. I don't like to exercise. I don't like to – do you know? Or do we just not ever talk about that? We just never bring up what we're not good at. Because if we're not, then those are the areas we probably don't have enough information on. We probably don't have enough data. And data just helps us learn if we're willing to learn. So if you're stuck in a rut where you keep kind of turning and turning and turning and change never happens, what that might be telling you, my friend, isn't that you're bad and evil and stupid and dumb and that nobody loves you and you'll never be good enough. It's not telling you that. It's also because you don't see those needs. It also doesn't mean you're the bomb and that you don't have problems. What it might be telling you, though, is you need to learn. It's time to learn. And it also might be telling you that the way everybody else in this world does something isn't the way you need to do it. You don't need to do it just because a book says it, but you might find a principle that actually works. This new Fitbit I've got, I'm not I, – I, it's just a tool, right? It's a tool. And I'm sure just based on my nature, I probably won't be using it as much as I, I should in the future. I know that. But you know what I know it will help me with? It actually gets me focused on it because it's, it kind of is intrusive. I notice it on my wrist and I pay attention to it because it's on my wrist. And if it vibrates, I'll pay attention to it. And if I'm measuring it, I pay attention to it. So the principle isn't the, isn't the, the health tracking device. The principle that matters is that it keeps me focused and attentive to the concept of health. That's the number one reason. But So I'm not pretending like I'll get healthy because of it, but if I pay attention to things, I'll get healthier. Same thing goes with everything in our lives. If you pay attention to your kids, you're going to get data. That data will tell you if you want to communicate with them, talking to them and paying attention to what they're saying will tell you how to teach them and handle them in the future. And it might not be the way that you're handling them now, and that's why they pull away. But talk about it. Figure out. Notice why they pull away and try new things. If we try enough things, that's great. But I don't need us to just keep rotating things. I need us to start learning. What are the principles behind what works? Right? What works in our lives? And just start making that list of everything that works. Pretty basic stuff. Folks, that's the Coach's Corner. 
We're here to help you. Remember, and it's all of us. We're all on this journey. I'm learning every single day how to uh, to just attack my life a little bit better. And we hope you're learning the same. We'll take a break. We've got another hour, another hour coming up, uh, and we'll be talking about marriage and some of the things we need to focus on there. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Doug Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. The program where we help you make wedding plans for James. And we help you uh, learn how to live a healthier life. Just giving you the tools. You go make up the life. We can't do everything for you. Welcome to the program. we got a great uh, topic today. Seven lies that society may be telling you about your marriage. You know, got to watch out. Should I be listening to society about my marriage? No. Actually, yes. Like, we would be part of society. Okay. So we're going to tell you the truth. So you got to discern between the truth and the lies about marriage. I have kind of a, a mental cue when I hear, you know what I ought to do, what you ought to do. You know what you need to do. And I just, yeah, whatever. You just turn out. Is that why you turn right off every time we have a meeting? Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Well, you know, sometimes these meetings are just about nothing. Oh, in fact, I would say most of our meetings. We could handle them in a matter of seconds, but they last forever. Well, did you notice we don't hold meetings anymore? We yeah, just, I just sit around. Them. Yeah, I, I figure. I, I feel like that's more effective in accomplishing what we need out of the meeting. Interestingly, you're spending the same amount of time. Well, it's different because but it's just not in a meeting room. Yeah, we're just annoying everyone else in the building. No one's complained yet, so it's like I'll just keep doing it. Or have they? <laughs> well, no one's come back to me. <laughs> if there is a complaint, it's please, all good. It's all know. good. So, um, we got to get clear. I got a Fitbit. Got a Fitbit. And now I'm a bit fit. A bit fitter. And it doesn't matter. I but what I've learned, um, I pay attention this morning more because I've had it for twelve hours. Right. It's it's new. And let me give you an update. It has a shiny portion of it. 2,200 steps. Nice. Uh, I have no heart rate. Okay, you're dead. Apparently I'm dead. <laughs> Apparently I've walked a mile already. Oh, wow. Look at you. Oh, 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 this is big news. This is a new stat. I have, I've, I've climbed one stair. Yes. I think that's getting in my car. Probably. I, need, I have a little stair I use to get in my car. It's a really tall car. It's a souped-up got your booster seat in there. 1990 Cadillac. There you go. Hot with a major league gold grill. Beautifully golded, gilded. Um, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do? Yeah, not in the show. Oh, it's Thursday. Okay. We got a big day. We got a lot to do today. Like after the show? After the show. How, Were you going to get uh, the entire team Fitbits? Was was that the plan? You know what? Um, what I was going to do is defer that to Don Shine oh, okay. yeah. at BYU Broadcasting, who would then defer it, I'm sure, to Marcus Smith. Who would then say no. Who would then no, defer oh. that to Derek Marquis, who would then take it to other people, and I'm pretty much convinced they'll say no. Somewhere along the line, they'll say no. But just let's be clear. I want to give you one. 
I want to give you each. An he eye really watch. wants to make this so happen. benevolent. An Apple Watch for everybody. That's my point. <laughs> anyway, but I'll talk to Don. I'll talk to Don. Anyway, don't worry about that. So there's no budget for it, but oh, I'm sure there's a budget for it. No. Yeah. Here's free stuff for ungrateful people. No, but yeah. Because I don't know if I'd be grateful with a Fitbit. I know. You're not going to get one. I'd be like, I got a handcuff on. What's going on? Well, that's right. Well, you've already got that ankle bracelet. so. Well, that comes off in a couple weeks. I know, but I think when you get one off, you should put another one on. Okay. You could put the Fitbit on your ankle. There you go. I'd already be comfortable with the – I'd have to yeah, you know, adjust to my wardrobe. You've already built up a, some callus Absolutely. down there <laughs> around your ankle. Hey, any news? Well, we learned yesterday that the uh, Boston Marathon bombing trial – Yep. It came to an end. They handed the decision off to the jury. They came back and saying that uh, Johar Zarnayev is guilty on 30 counts against him. 17 carry the death penalty. The penalty phase begins on, I believe, Monday, but sometime next week they'll start deliberating on his future. We learned yesterday that uh, his mother, Jokar's mother, thinks that he is innocent. Of course. That America is the real terrorist here. Minus all the running around Boston for three days after blowing up the marathon. Yeah. Don't pay attention to that. Forget those details. Uh, other news. During a panel discussion Tuesday, uh-huh. earlier in the week, NASA's efforts to locate, uh, it was about NASA's efforts to locate alien life. The agency's chief scientist said that NASA could make a huge discovery within the, the next 10 years. A huge discovery within the next 10 years. Absolutely. About, do we know what? He goes, I think they'll have strong indications of life beyond Earth within a decade, and I think we're going to have definitive evidence within 20 or 30 years. Wow. Now, this is all littered with could and possibly and, you know. Interesting. But still, that he thinks it's very positive that they're making steps, they're, they're getting you know the 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 rovers. They're going to put some more rovers on Mars, I believe, and then they're going to try to put one on. Uh, is it one of the moons of yeah. Jupiter? I think that, that they're looking at for water sources. But that means and, your children will live in a world where they would know about other. But life. we're we're talking life about like microscopic organisms. Is that? It, I want. I are want. You sure. I yeah. That's what they're talking about. They're not talking about you know flying in with their spaceships. Have and, you ever heard, seen Space Jam? Absolutely. I wouldn't be so sure about. And anything. that's a cartoon. So, um, so they're there. He says they're on a path to implementing the steps necessary to be prepared for that. That's good. That's cool. So that's it's really cool. completely vague, but you yeah. know, there's some possibility. Well, there. no better way to keep it than vague. <laughs> The U.S. Department of uh, the U.S. Energy Department predicts that this summer drivers will see the lowest seasonal gas prices in six years. Excellent. The roads are the busiest from April to September every year. The agency analysts expect that gallons of a gas will cost an average of two forty-five for regular unleaded during this heavy driving period. Oh, this is great. Now that that'd be a national average. Yeah. It's different on different parts of the country, but they're saying that the prices will be lower than uh, previous years. Uh, That would be the lowest summer summer price since 2009, Hmm. almost one-third less than the $3.59 a gallon from the same time last year. It also believes that the prices could fall even lower if negotiations with Iran result in oil-related sanctions being lifted. More Hmm. oil in the market drops the price. Interesting. Because we have a bunch just sitting around, apparently. Yeah. Because even though the prices have dropped, Saudi Arabia hasn't stopped production. They haven't slowed down production. They just keep cranking out the oil. 
Pump out the oil. And uh, that keeps the prices lower at the moment. So, And it says uh, the United States has at least 30 million barrels of crude in storage. Just another fact, toyed. Put that in your, you know, your wallet, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what you do with that, but there's... With that of, little factoid. Bunch of oil around. Uh, do you know much about the Masters? Golf tournament going on this uh, weekend? A little bit, yeah. Green jacket? Green jacket, you win it. Uh, one of the traditions is that on Monday, they either Monday or Tuesday night, they have a champion's dinner. Mm. So the champion from a year before comes back. He has the menu, and this is last year it was Bubba Watson. So corn he, dogs. We're so, having corn dogs. So his name's Bubba. So that, yeah. that leads you towards yeah. the barbecue. Type of it's going to be barbecue. He chose for the menu this year grilled chicken mm. with mac and cheese, <gasps> just like he did in 2013. It will also uh, so the menu is a Caesar salad, grilled chicken breast, green beans, mashed potatoes, corn macaroni and cheese, and cornbread. Oh, Dessert will be meal. confetti cake and vanilla ice cream. <laughs> He enjoys comfort food, and they saints here. That shouldn't be a surprise. When he won the Masters last year, the first thing he did is he went to a Waffle House, <laughs> and then he took selfies and put them out there. That's awesome. That's cool. You win, yeah. you get to pick the menu. You pick the menu. So then the question is, you have a special, you know, situation like that. What do you pick? What food do you want to eat? Well, what you get your... macaroni and cheese. That's is that not like, a bad choice? Is that like birthday dinner? Yeah, that's when I was a kid, dinner. you could pick your birthday Do meal. Do they give you a special plate that says the the Masters champion? I think you sit in a special place you of honor. You should have a special plate. Every person needs a special plate. And in that same, you know, speaking of the Masters, golfer Jack Nicholas earned a round of applause on Wednesday when he made a hole-in-one at the Masters Par 3 contest. He's 75 years old, scored the shot at the fourth. He landed it past the flag where it rolled back up to the cup. So... Big time. The, the the par three is kind of a fun time. You still got People it bring out their kids to be yeah. their caddies or whoever they want. And uh, Jack Nicholas goes out and plays. He's obviously retired, yeah. but you know he's a, a he's a historic player. Comes out and hits a hole in one. Man, I wonder how many holes in one he's hit. That's got to be. I mean, my I had a grand my, one of my wife's grandfather. He hit seven holes in one in his lifetime. Seven. He also golfed every day. That's kind of how that happens. Yeah. The chances I, go up if you golf yeah. quite a bit. I've had five in a row once. What? what? Five in a row what? Holes in Holes one? In one. Doing what? Uh, mini golf. Well, that doesn't count. Well, of course it is. Well, I mean, there's Hole some there, in one. there's some skill involved, but putting it through the windmill or the clown's mouth doesn't count. Oh, my heavens. You have to actually golf. You're so rude. Just stating fact. Okay. We'll go putt-putting. <laughs> we'll see how good you are. Just putting it through the windmill. If the windmill's on, it's hard. You don't understand. Hey, great uh, guest coming up, Dr. Brian Willoughby, one of our friends on the show. Uh, he is um, an assistant professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University, also the director of the Relate Institute. He's going to come talk to us about um, seven different lies that society might be telling you about marriage. There seems to be a decline in people married, marrying and... Um, He's going to talk about some of those myths, blow some of them up. This is the Matt Townsend Show, back with Dr. Brian Willoughby after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Dr. Brian Willoughby is joining us. He's an assistant professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. He's also the director of the Relate Institute, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to studying and improving romantic relationships. James, listen up, my friend. Got my notepad ready. He's got his notepad ready. Uh, James is about to get married um, in a month. Actually, what's the countdown? Not that it matters, but uh, he's put a running countdown, and I think Dr. Willoughby would love to know about it because I'm sure he'll be meeting with you for a lot of sessions in the next couple of years. At least a little bit after. <laughs> At least a few. Yeah, you'll yeah you'll have a few meetings after. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. It really is. Uh, it's good to have you because you're on the campus, but we don't ever get to hear from you. Yeah. I mean, until we bring you in. That's right. This, this you're is just my out platform. there teaching. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the countdown. It's almost the maled- the wedding of the millennium. Twenty three days, six hours, fifty nine minutes, forty eight seconds. It's the wedding of the millennium, and a Kardashian is not even involved. That's right. That's that's pressure. That's right a there. ton of pressure. <laughs> ton of pressure. Um, in fact, I'm supposed to go get fitted for my tux soon. When when am I getting my tux? Still checking on that. I'm giving the groom away. Oh, which is weird. A lot of times you don't give a groom away, right? But he wants me to give him away. Okay. I get to give the speech, right? Yeah, you get to do the speech. Okay. I'll do the groom giving away, and then you'll do the speech, and then um, we'll have Terry do the dance. It's going to be a party. <laughs> You don't want to miss it. So, Brian, you have put together – first of all, the Relate Institute. Just tell us what that is because the Relate Institute is a um, – it's, it's an instrument that anybody can go use to assess their relationship and kind of know where their problems are and then start to go find some solutions. Right. Yeah. The Relate Institute's actually been around for about 30 years um, on campus, one of the oldest relationship institutes in the country. Um, it started back in the 70s with relationship scholars here at BYU that were interested in family relationships, marriage relationships, how they form, how they're successful. And, and over the years, we've developed a lot of research, a lot of assessment tools to help couples. And specifically, like you said, we've got assessment tools on our website that couples or even people that are not in a relationship can go to and take. And what we give them then is a detailed report about them as a person, about mm. the relationship, if they're in a relationship, um, if they, they're in a relationship, their partner can take it too. And the, the report will actually merge the answers from both partners. So they can see the graphs and say, okay, here's what I said and here's what you said. And then we also ask them about each other. So it's what I said, what I said about you, what you said about yourself and what you said about me. And it's all in one graph. It's feedback. You see, but so many people are afraid of that because yeah. that, ugh. Now, because yes. what I that's really just communicating. Mm-hmm. You're using an assessment to exactly. communicate and exactly. inform. Yep, and the and the report we give them has discussion questions that mm-hmm. you can you can ask yourself and go through with your partner. the The aim is not to necessarily get you fighting yeah. about the the results, but to get you talking about the results. And it, it's a great tool for couples that that want to improve their relationship. That things they think things are going well, but they want to. They, they, there's a couple areas we want to work on. It's great for that. It's also really great for couples that are are struggling with something. Thing, there, there's always this stigma about going to see a therapist. Yeah, we can't go see a therapist because it's not that bad, right? Right. Yeah. We're not thinking about divorce, and it's a great kind of go between of you know we, we've had this issue, we, we keep fighting, we're not sure what to do, we don't want to go see a therapist, or even we don't want to go spend a couple hundred dollars to go see right. a therapist. Um, it's it's a way to 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 spend some time on your relationship, just like we check, we go to the physician, at least most of us, yeah, supposedly, supposedly go to the doctor the and, get, and get a physical every couple years. Right. It's about relationship health. It's yeah. checking up on how is the health of my marriage, how is the health of my relationship. And it's it's fairly non-intrusive. I mean, ask mm-hmm. a bunch of questions. Yeah. 
But in the end, too, don't, there's a prescriptive side, too. It, it kind of tells you other stuff to go do, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. It talks about, like I said, there's discussion questions to talk about. The The graphs themselves have kind of three areas where you say, okay, this is this is the area where you're probably doing okay. This is an area where you need to talk. This is an area where you might need some more help. And it talks about what that help might oh, be. Oh, that's great. So – and it's just a fee. You go pay a mm-hmm. fee, but it's not outrageous. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's $20 a person, which, oh, which compared to going to see a therapist oh, totally. or going to a marriage education weekend yeah. is, is very cheap. That's right. And and then it might give you something to talk about at dinner. Right. <laughs> instead, of, <laughs> yep. instead of the kids. Exactly. Hey, those kids are really having yeah. a good time. Um, talk about – you wrote an article called Seven Lies That Society's Telling You About Your Marriage. Mm-hmm. What – because marriage is dropping. Fewer people are marrying. Right. Talk about that, first of all. Why Why? What, why is it so not attractive anymore? Well, well, this is the interesting thing. It's not that it's not attractive. Okay, good. Uh, in, in fact, I, I, I was yelling through Twitter at a CNN um, reporter earlier this week because she wrote an article called The Marriage Apocalypse and, and talking about how marriage is going to go away eventually because these marriage rates are going down. Um, and, and I yelled at her through Twitter, right? <laughs> um, all caps. See, all caps. And like, that's not what's going on yeah. because people still want to get married. They still value marriage. Just the way they're going about it is very different. They're delaying it. They're worried about it. Huh. There's anxiety. There's fear about divorce. And so it's not that the people don't want to get married, that they don't value it anymore. It's just the way that people are going about doing it, the way they're thinking about yeah. it. It's like they're overthinking it. Yeah. They're, or maybe they've, we've magnified marriage to be something so big, you feel yes. like you need to have five things lined up. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't that. Is that just what we're doing as parents? Is that institutionally? What? How is it's, that getting translated? Yeah, down? it's a lot of different things. It's it's society kind of holding up marriage. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the marriage equality discussions yeah. going on in this country. As we've had that discussion, there's been this kind of implicit assumption that marriage is this ultimate relationship yeah. form that everyone wants to aspire to. And it puts marriage up on this pedestal, which in some ways is a great thing. Right. But in other words, for a lot of young adults in particular, you know, people in their early 20s, mid 20s, it makes marriage feel like this thing that will eventually maybe happen when their life is complete, that mm-hmm. will then be that cherry on the top culmination. of culmination. Yeah. The, the culmination of my life will be marriage. But then that also enters into the conversation. Well, what if I never get there? Yeah. What if I never get that stable job or that stable income or that stable person? You know, it's all those things have to fit into place for me first before I get married. And what if that never happens? Oh, that's true. So you want to blow up some of the lies. Right. And, and kind of let's get very clear on a few of them. Um, first of all, the the myth of if my spouse really loves me, they should just know instinctively what I want and need to be happy. Right. Yeah, this is, this is great. This this was written by one of our Relay Board members, Dr. Larson, who's who's an MFT, marriage family therapist. And and we're getting at mind reading here. Yeah. The, this assumption that and, – and this goes back to larger ideas about romanticism. We have this romantic ideal about marriage that we get from movies and TV right. shows that, you know, my spouse, if we're really in love and they're the perfect partner for me. He would me, never hurt me. Yeah. They, they're never going to hurt me and they're going to know exactly what I want at all times. Yeah. And, and the strength strength of our relationship is I shouldn't have to ever say what I need because we're just going to be on the same wavelength. Um, and, and anyone that's been married for, for about a, yeah, a week or two can probably tell you that, that that's just going to set yourself up for disappointment yeah, because totally. our, our spouses, despite our best efforts, cannot read our own minds. We have to actually tell them. We have to communicate with each other. That's so – again, that idea though, when we were first dating, you seemed to just know everything. You just read me so well mm-hmm. and you paid so much attention. Yeah. So some of that was – I call that the mate and switch, right? Yeah. That's the trick. So right. when, when we're in the chemical phase, yeah. 
we're we're being tricked. Right. It, exactly. <laughs> well, and usually when we're dating too, we're much better at sending very overt messages because we want them to succeed at right, that point. Right, exactly. After we get married, now it's this test to see if you actually love me or not. And I'm going to give you even fewer clues yeah, about what yeah, I want and what yeah. I need other than I'm mad. Or I'll, I'll give you that message. <laughs> you're going to know I'm that. Mad, you'll know that. And you're not going to be touched. Yeah, but you're going to have to guess. <laughs> or the other issue that comes up with this, I talk to my students a lot about this, is it's not just mind reading. It's what we call mixed messaging. It's the I'm going to send everything about my body language and my posture is going to tell you I'm mad. But then when you ask me, I'm what am say, I? Yeah. I'm going to say oh, I'm, no, fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. Well, you see, no, it seems yeah. so, no, I'm I'm fine. Yeah, and, and even though it's obvious that I'm not okay, it's a mixed message and it's confusing. Yeah. to partners. Oh, absolutely. There's a, which one do I believe? Do I believe your verbal communication or yeah. your body posture? I'd go with the body posture. Yeah. Don't believe what they say. Always. Right. Uh, how about this one? I can change my spouse by pointing out their inadequacies, errors, or faults. By even by just talking about it. Right. Yeah. This. The, can we talk the, about your faults? The change thing is big, and this is nothing that actually, like you said, goes back to dating. We we oftentimes have this idea when we're dating, we see these little flaws in our partner, yeah. and we assume that these will get better. This yeah. this is just immaturity things. Uh-huh. Once once we're married, they'll mature out, and, yeah. they'll, and then we realize that that's actually who they are. He won't person. play video games forever, right? Yeah, he's not going to watch video games. She's not going to spend all this money on clothes, yeah. whatever it is, right? But then we get married and we realize this is just who they are as a person, and then we want them to change because now I'm stuck with you. Yeah, I didn't know you. Yeah, I didn't really know you weren't going to change. And so I, I, I feel like I need to t- – and then, and then like you said, the idea is, well, if I just tell you, if we're – now we're communicating. Yeah, now I'll just tell yeah, you. Part of the, one of the, this myth isn't on there, but it's kind of in, embedded in a lot of them. The myth that communication solves everything. Oh, yeah, totally. We, we think that in, the, in this culture that if we yeah. just talk about it, yeah. it'll get better. But, but changing someone it rarely actually happens. In fact, a lot of the top marriage scholars in the field, um, John, John Gottman, who's one yeah. of the top people, he talks about something where he calls unresolvable conflict. He says yeah. every couple has unresolvable conflict. There will be things that you will fight about forever because they're not going to change. It's not going to change. Right. I mean, and some of that is, you know, isn't. It's not. It doesn't mean you can't live through it and right. make it work, but exactly. get over the idea that it's going to change. Right, and that that's a, that's a different mindset. Uh-huh. It's it's understanding that part of a healthy relationship is accepting my partner's flaws because they're flawed, uh-huh. and I'm a flawed that's human so being. Good. And 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 part of this relationship is that I'm willing to to be with that person despite their flaws, yeah. and that they're willing to be with me yeah. despite my flaws. That's powerful. Um, we're talking again with Dr. Brian Willoughby. He's an assistant professor of the school in the School of Family Life at BYU. We'll take a break, and when we come back, more uh, lies. We're going to blow up a few more lies that society may be telling you about marriage. Be taking it in, folks, because uh, this is your marriage, too. So whoever you want to blame, you can blame society or just your own brain. Let's quit thinking. This is the Matt Townsend Show, back in a minute, right here on BYU Radio. Townsend Show. In the house, Dr. Brian Willoughby is joining us, assistant professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. He's also the director of the Relate Institute. What's the website to the Relate Institute? It is www.relateinstitute.com. Relateinstitute.com. Brian Willoughby. He's helping us blow up some of the lies that society may be telling you about your marriage. Just some of these are things, traditions, ideas that have been handed down over generations 
that just need to be blown up a little bit. Uh, how about this one? My spouse either loves me or doesn't love me. Nothing I will do will affect the way they feel about me. That's a good one. That's, That's a this great idea thought. of love. In fact, give up on it. Yeah, I I have a when I teach preparation for marriage yeah. um, on campus here, I have two mottos in that class that I drill into the student's brain about marriage and healthy relationships. And one of them hits this, and I, 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 I repeat it all the time. My students get sick of me talking about it. It's just because I love you forever doesn't mean I'm going to like you every day. That's so good. And, and the whole point of that is we have this idea that, that love in a relationship is this all-powerful, all-encompassing, never-wavering thing. Again, we get this from movies. It's yeah. this romanticism idea. But the reality of a, of a real relationship is that that does ebb and flow. Yeah. Anyone that's been married for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, there are days in that marriage where you genuinely do not like your spouse. <laughs> You don't. There, right. there are days where you're going to hate your spouse. And we have this myth that that means yeah. the marriage is bad, and it doesn't. No. It doesn't. Um, again, back to John Gottman, he, talked all, he always talked about a five-to-one ratio in relationships, that you, you need at least one positive interaction for every five negative, which sounds completely warped right. to, to, compared to what we normally think. But just taking that in a more general way, it's that every relationship has up and ups and downs. Your, your spouse is going to do things that annoy you. You're, you're going to have that, that internal emotion of love um, is going to ebb and flow in that relationship. And healthy relationships are actually not based just on love. That's what right. gets us together. That's, right. That's how we date. That's how we find someone. It, it, it becomes an important part of successful marriage, but it's not the foundation. The foundation of a healthy relationship is commitment to each other, devotion to each other. And then the, the love piece and the, the, the butterflies in my stomach, the, those, the, those will go up and down, but it doesn't change that bedrock. Well, that's why we have a marriage co- commitment or covenant or an agreement because mm-hmm. you're not always going to feel the love. Right. So the, the, the agreement sometimes keeps you in when the feeling is not right there. Exactly. Yeah. When, when I go through those days or weeks where I, I'm not feeling very positive towards yeah. my partner, we're going through a rough patch, I can rely back on that commitment. That's why the other thing I always tell couples is, is that wedding day is really special, not just because you got to dress up fancy and got yeah. a lot of presents, but that's something you can reflect back on, that that's when I made those promises to this person. If you think about your traditional wedding vows, right? Sickness yeah. and health, yeah. ups and downs. You know, we, we talk about all those in the vows, but people usually aren't paying attention. Yeah, a lot of lip service. Yeah, a lot of lip service going on. Um, but that's the reality of relationship, that when I have those those down periods, I can reflect back on the, those promises that I made to my spouse, and that will carry me through. Because what we know um, about relationships is eventually most of them will come back yeah. up. In fact, I had a, a colleague I went to grad school with, and in his dissertation, he actually looked at married couples across 20, 30 years and tracked their marital satisfaction. And what he found is that most couples at, at one time point that were in the, the bottom of the bottom, the uh-huh. type of couples that you would say they should probably get a divorce – the ones that stayed together five years later were perfectly normal, most of them. Yeah, just, just staying together because yeah. life's going to change. Right, yeah. They, they stuck it out. Things got better. Not that they necessarily had no. the best relationship on, on the block, but but they got back like, to a it pretty was even, typical average It was like dramatically level. better. It was, yeah. it was, they ranked it high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? I had a friend that 60 years he was married with a woman who was bipolar. For 60 years she was mm-hmm. bipolar before they knew it. Mm-hmm. And at the you know at, at the age of eighty, right. diagnosed, yeah, finally medicated, yeah. and then they had some more time together. But it, sixty years, you can't make that by feeling love, right, with a bipolar, right. <laughs> so at some point, there's commitment, and yeah. it's just 
valuing that this is a journey. This is work. Yeah, valuing valuing that relationship. And also it does speak really uh, strongly to the importance of that dating phase too. Yeah. Um, kind of back to some of the other things we talked about is those those flaws your spouse are going to have. They had them when they were yeah. when you were dating. You, you, you saw sh- you them. You could have seen them. That, that was your opportunity, hopefully, if yeah. you did the dating process correctly, yeah. where you decided, I'm going to marry that person despite these things, and I'm going to be willing to put up with them. Um, and if you did that, and is, is you, if you thought through that process, when those things really annoy you down the road, again, they might give you a couple bad days, a couple bad weeks, but you're like, well, this is what I signed this up for. Is this, is, this is the person. And... I'm thinking about all the positives too. That's the other thing that happens sometimes when we when we stop feeling those feelings of love is we forget about all the positive pieces of our relationship. Oh, yeah. We get stuck in the negative. Yeah, you see the weeds, but you miss mm-hmm. all the flowers, right. everything else. Yeah. Um, blow up this other one of fifty fifty. You know, it's fifty fifty right. partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the, this I've never is a big. This is actually a really big one with a lot of newlyweds. Yeah, is is they do this kind of ultimate judgment type of marriage where everything that they do, whether it's cooking, doing the dishes, once they start having kids, it's who got up and diapers. It's this checklist. Whose turn is yeah. it? Right? Okay, I, I've done it five times. You've done it six times, and so it's my turn. Or you've, you, you, whatever it is. It's this assumption, and a lot of it. The problem here is we talk a lot about in marriage equal partnership, yeah. which is a great thing. But equal partnership speaks more to decision making, not everyday yeah, power. behavior. We have equal power. Yeah, we have, we have equal, equal power. Influence. We consult each other on decisions. It doesn't necessarily translate to behavior, but some couples do that and say yeah. everything we do in this marriage is a 50-50 partnership. And we know there's lots of good research that that is very stressful That's and right. not good for a lot of marriages. Um, that it's, very, it's just very difficult to maintain. People get sick. There's pregnancies. Yeah. There's jobs. There's different career trajectories. And, and again, this is one of those things that ebbs and flows in every relationship. There's going to be days where your marriage is more 90-10. There will right. be days where it's 60-40 and it will flip-flop right. throughout the course of your marriage. Um, depending on who's going through what and who's sick and who's struggling and who's having anxiety. And, and, and that's what relationships have to do. That's what healthy marriages have to do is be okay with that, that there's going to be days where I have to take 80% of the load. There's going to be a week where maybe I have to do all the dishes right. because my spouse is having a hard time. There's going to be a week where I'm going to have to get up with the kids every night because my spouse has a big job presentation at the yeah. end of the week. Um, and that's okay. That's part of sacrifice. That's, right. that's kind of what's embedded in here is a willingness to sacrifice in our marriage and be okay if things aren't fair. That's why this – so if your mentality is what's in it for me, mm-hmm. marriage may not be a good choice. Right. Yeah, that's the, it's a horrible choice and then, that's and then, what you're going to And then on for. top of that, family, mm-hmm. parenting may not be a good choice again. Right. If you're going to approach it selfishly, you're going to – Get hurt. Yeah, the, this idea that my marriage is about my personal happiness and my personal satisfaction. Again, this ties into all of these things. We, we go into marriage assuming that's why I want to get married. That's why I'm marrying you because you make me happy. Yeah, you make me satisfied, which is great, and that's a part. You know, my spouse makes me extremely happy. And yeah. Although I like the word joy yeah. more than, than happy I sometimes. Because sometimes you're not uh, cause, happy. Yeah, because it, it's a deeper thing. Yeah, it is. Right? Is that even even those days when I'm frustrated or I'm struggling, I've never once in my entire marriage over the course of 13 years regretted that decision, not, not a single day. And it has to do with that more underlying joy of the relationship. See, that's the – and that's what you almost can't teach – we say it to these young newlyweds and they look at us just glassy-eyed like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but they're not willing sometimes okay. to make the decisions to get yeah. there. Yeah. That's huge. Well, we appreciate you, Ryan. Really, the work you're doing at the RelateInstitute.com. Is mm-hmm. that it or .org? RelateInstitute.com. Oh, is it yeah. .com? Yeah. RelateInstitute.com. It, it's, it's so valuable, folks. So go check it out. Just go look at the website and learn from it. 
Um, again, he's the director. He's the man. So if you have any problems. <laughs> yep. We've got uh, blog posts that we put up there every week that are free for anyone. It's just, it's just trying to help everybody out. Dr. Brian Willoughby is his name, uh, director of the RelateInstitute.com at BYU here. He's also a member or an assistant professor in the School of Family Life at BYU. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Appreciate you. Mm-hmm. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to go to Studio uh, B to talk to uh, our good friends down there at BYU Sports Nation, find out what they've got in store for all of us at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Now we're bringing you the cool music because we're introducing BYU Sports Nation. We're going down to Studio B with Spencer and Jerem to find out what's coming up on their show a little bit later. Hello, gentlemen. I can't get over that song right now. Can we just listen to that? Isn't that a cool song? again. It makes me think of Remember the Titans. Oh, I know. Totally. That is the the sports song right there. Right there. Mm. It's a good day to hear that song, Matt. Why? Because today is the day of reckoning. Are you running today? I am running today. Today! I saw you in your sweat clothes with that headband on. That was interesting. The headband makes me more aerodynamic. It made you look taller. (laughs) It's such a narrow headband. You seem taller. Like your head is bigger. (laughs) It's half the size of a normal headband. Um that's cool. So you're going to go out. You're going to put on your tennis runners, as my grandma used to call them. My tennis runners. Tenny, ten, your tennis shoes. Your tennis. No runners. way! I'm running a four nine forty in tennis runners. What are you? Where Where do you do this? We're doing this at the practice field. Oh man, I'm scared for you. On the turf, I've got my cleats. Okay. I've got my muscles and ligaments stretched out. Do you? You I will. A, I have a pretty good idea of what I'm going to run to. What nobody do you think? Knows, nobody knows. You've that. been timing it already. You know. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. I have, are you gonna let's just let's just get it out there? Are you, are you gonna make it? I'm not gonna tell people that. Just tell me. Just tell me. <laughs> just tell me. Only 20 million possible subscribers <laughs> on SiriusXM. I think people me. should just listen to BYU Sports Nation tomorrow and get the results. I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna make it, and I think you're gonna pull a hammy. And wow, you're gonna both? be in the hospital for a week. Having I'm going to stretch my surgery. hamstrings for like 30 minutes straight before I run this thing. I saw Jerem helping hold your leg up while you were stretching. Not that true. was that was interesting. Nope. Too. nope. <laughs> I love when you take shots like that at Jerem. I'm not that good a teammate. <laughs> He's like, he backpedals I'm all, so fast. I'm all about the team. You're a team. But, uh, we have people for that. That's right. That's right. Well, he did shave his legs, didn't he, for uh, BYU? You shaved your head. He shaved his legs. I thought we talked about. I've that. never shaved my legs. Not you, Jerem. Spencer. He's asking me if I shaved my legs for BYU. I just wanted everyone to know. But by the way, I would shave me. your legs before the run because aerodynamics—it's critical. Listen, I have shaved my legs one time, one time, yeah. just as an experiment, just to see. Hey, tell tell the doctor why. You know, it was uh, well. I was I was on my mission first of all. <laughs> Weird, really. <laughs> well, I was challenged, like. <laughs> I dare you to do it, and then I was like, you know, you That's can't. That's the turn, best reason to do you something. You can't turn down a dare like that. So this is what <laughs> happens. The, the people that don't know this. So when the Mormon missionaries go home at night, at late after they've worked, they just they need something to unwind. So they just play games on oh, each other. Listen, it was preparation day. Oh, okay, okay. okay. It was my. I had some free time. 
So to shave I, your legs. To shave my legs. That's so Tell weird. you what, I slept amazing that night, and my legs were awesome. <laughs> Did you spend the whole night just touching your legs? <laughs> it, well, that, That's that was the awkward. closest thing I was getting to yeah. uh, <laughs> to any love, to um, any sort of love. Where is this going? I have no idea. What that the was world? the weirdest you thing. Can't, We're going to be cut date, off any listen, second. Listen, now. for those who don't know, you can't date or hang out with girls when you're on you a can't two, even two years. Girl. You can't hug a girl. You like, really shouldn't even shave your legs. Really. Probably not. Probably not. I mean, we're well, not. No one's going to see those legs, anyways. That's, That's true. true. And they That's were totally pasty true. white because you know, I mean. You guys, it's not never running around in shorts. It's so funny. It's never a dull moment with you guys. <laughs> so I got to write down. I'm glad down. you think that. Hey, but so good luck on the race today. On the what are they calling it? on the sprint today? Thank you. Uh, Thank you best of much. luck. Just know we're thinking about you. Uh, I don't want to brag. You're gonna race, but I've got a I got a brand new health monitoring bracelet. You got what a does it do? What does type? that do for you? It, what does it, your health monitoring bracelet actually do? Well, it tells me. Let me just fill you in. Uh, it tells me the time, and it tells me I've taken twenty three hundred steps, and uh, my heart rate right now is ninety one beats per minute. I think it's because I'm talking to you. Ninety one. I know it's really high. His heart rate goes up every time. He's like, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh crap! I think what it was, it was the fear. It was the normally fear. Normally, it's sixty. Yeah, it's normally sixty, but it's the fear of you shaving your legs and um, <laughs> and then having to explain that to oh, other people. The anxiety associated yeah, with that. It just, it yeah, just, uh, today on the show, we're going to have Blaine Fowler, Harvey mm. Yunga, and then Kyle Collinsworth of the basketball team. His fiance is an all-American eight hundred meter wrist. Wow. Whatever. Yeah, runner. She. They're all going to weigh in on tips. For Spencer today. And we'll talk about them a little oh, bit. Oh, great. Too. See, that's good. So you're getting everybody involved. Yes. Blaine has some legitimate concerns regarding <laughs> Spencer and hamstrings. We'll yeah, get to that. I'm telling up. you. Dude, Harvey the- Unga, uh, Spencer basically thinks he's faster than Harvey, so we'll ask him, hey, do you think Spencer's actually faster than you? And then Shay is actually on the track team, so I'm sure she has some good things to say. Why don't you see – don't just make Harvey uh, say if he's faster. Just see if Harvey's stronger. Have oh. Harvey just Oh, we know the tackle. answer to that one. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Spencer's uh, fast, but is he as fast as he claims? That is the question. 4940 is oh, fast. This is going to be fun. Okay, so everybody, you got to stay for BYU Sports Nation. Not only will you see a hammy be pulled, you'll also maybe see wow. the white flash of Spencer's legs. The hammy polling, if it happens, will take place on Friday's show. We're okay. running after the show, but okay, there, that's right. there will be several cameras involved. This is exciting. <laughs> this is exciting. I think you'll we have do a it. helicopter coming in, too. It's going to be wild. <laughs> yeah, some. Uh, Good year, Blimp. Chopper this, five. This Get is to big. the chopper. This is big. Okay, so you. So, good luck today. Just, Thank you. Just know that we are behind you regardless of success or failure. I appreciate that, Dr. Matt. But if you fail, we will definitely be talking about it tomorrow. Oh, yeah. It will be discussed regardless. <laughs> You're the best, guys. Have a great show. Thanks, Matt. Take Thank care. You. There we go. We learned it. Spencer shaved his legs. Just made the headline. Terry's like, I shave my legs. One advantage no. that he has, though, is the Matt Townsend effect is now behind him. That's so true. We didn't even bring that up. It's like a wave. It's like he gets to body surf the Matt Townsend effect across the line as he's sprinting. But it's the same Matt Townsend effect that led to BYU basketball losing in the West Coast Conference Final. Don't Just, bring that up. That You can't hang that on me. I wasn't even there. Well, that was part of the problem. You weren't there. They lost. I didn't even know they were in the uh, see, tournament. See, you, your lack of knowledge led to a loss. Mm. Are you going to be there to watch them run? 
Um, I probably won't be. See? So how is he going to find success unless you're there? I'm going to text him. Okay. I'm going to text him good vibrations. <laughs> really? How do you – te- are you just going to text the word good vibrations? I'm going to text the Beach Boys song good vibrations. Like a YouTube link or something? Yeah. Okay. That'll change. I mean if that doesn't get you running, I don't know what would. You could do like running down a dream. Nah. It's more of themed sort of song. What? Um, no? I Can he run that fast? That's no, fast. of course not. I bet he can. That's why they do it. It's I kind of a can. joke. No, I bet he can. And he's got like a world-class sprinter watching, he's so he has no form. Guy. He's fast. She's he, like, you lose most of your momentum just taking your first step. He's got, twi- he's got twitchy muscles. He's fast. I've seen him. I've seen, one time I saw, I saw him in one lobby, and it, then I blinked, and he was gone. Hmm. That's proof. That's all you need right there. I know. Proof of speed. Matt Townsend does not know where you just went. That's one of the signs. <laughs> what happened? That's proof of speed right there. That's, uh, that's real. I don't know why you're laughing. So do you, do you suffer from spoiler alerts? No. Do people spoil TV, movies? No. Like I was talking with one of our producers a minute ago about the movie Gravity. Gravity, yeah. She hadn't seen the movie. Yeah. And I was explaining how, and before I said, I said, spoiler she gets kind of lost in space, but gets back to Earth. And she hadn't seen it. Yeah. So, so I'm like, that. spoiler, I just ruined the entire movie for you. Right. And she was like, uh, not really. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. what, spoiler. Yeah. Well, Google mm-hmm. has applied for a patent. They were awarded a patent that would uh, suggest that Google plans to create a system to track your TV or movie viewing process using social networks and the system will hide information about shows or movies you haven't seen yet. Hmm. To try to preserve that, you know, the the discovery. Wow. You know what? Of, that, that this is all a trick. Is it? It's their me- it's their mechanism of then getting you to buy all of their media and run all their media and Could audio be. and everything through. So them. that way, if a friend posts something about your favorite show, you won't be spoiled before watching the episode. Reports explain the Google system would blur social media posts. Create a pop-up warning message before displaying the potential spoiler. However, Google hasn't specified whether the system will be used with Facebook or Twitter or with other social networks. Hmm. Because they have their own social network that really nobody uses. And if if it's a feature of that, then it's a total waste of time because no one really uses it. Yeah, right. They're setting themselves up. They want everybody to use it and, hey, this is a great key. If they embed it in their internet browser, that could be interesting. That could be very interesting. And then all of a sudden it's part of your life anyway. If they've just inserted it into your life, then all of a sudden you'll think you need it. Right. That's like, you know, an iPhone. You follow a favorite show, it'll block any sort of spoilers, any sort of reveals about any shows you haven't seen. Like during, yeah, during the NCAA basketball playoffs. That would be a really cool tool because then you can keep scores yeah. down and quiet. If you're going to record it and, and watch yeah. it later. If, yeah, if you're into that stuff. Or, or what I keep getting uh, nailed with is I'll, I'll, watch a, I'll be trying to watch a show, but of course it aired on the East Coast earlier. Yeah. And so people were tweeting about all the stuff that happened in the show and you're like, oh, I just, what was that? See, now, yeah. m- mainly, if I, I can see things and just skip it, I visually will not read it. No, yeah. But I think, some people can't help it and they have to read it. I think it's a great trick. But if they really want to fix spoilers, they just need to make it so I don't have any spoilers in my life. Okay. So I don't want to, like, go home and find out I've got bad news. 
So they just need to somehow Google needs to figure out how to get rid of that bad news. So wait till you get home to find out the bad news no, or I, just screen just, it out completely? They need to go take care of it. That's not a spoiler. Let's say, well, let's say I had a flood in my basement. <laughs> this is different. That would spoil my afternoon. <laughs> they need to we take just, care of my flood in you, my basement. You misunderstood the concept. You're going a different direction here. <laughs> no, I, I think I understood it. I just don't use it. But I do have a spoiling life that needs to be fixed. Also, Yale University published a – uh, the results of research showing that the internet makes us think we're smarter than we actually are. Oh, for sure. What do you think? Totally. Look at us. We actually think we know what we're talking about. <laughs> That's the show, folks. Uh, we hope we uh, that this show helps you think you're smarter than you are. And in fact, we want you to be, we actually want you to be smarter than most of us are. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back again tomorrow with the best of. Remember, we're here to help you find the good in the world. Take care and uh, till tomorrow. <laughs> 